It's a sled. He's dead. The box contains his wife's head. Vader's his father. They're allergic to water. She's her sister and her daughter. You watched it from Wacky Races. Hello, welcome, welcome to our first ever official You Watched It Wrong mini-series. Today's mini-series topic and the next episodes and the next... Basically, the topic of everything in the mini-series. <laughs> the name of this mini-series is... <laughs> we can, once we say mini-series, we can proceed to say the name of the mini-series, which is Wacky I know, my mind, my mind just shut down. Oh, okay. It was, it was a lot of pressure. <laughs> Hello, wrong. Go heads. ahead, say the name. I want you to say it. Okay. It's Wacky Races. So we're listening to the winning series, Wacky Races. It's a mini, 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 mini series. And today's our first entry, the wellspring from which this whole subgenre springs, uh, flows. The the big movie, <laughs> the big, big movie that casts a long, long shadow. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Now, for those of you that know me. Uh, I thought you'd find it interesting that I didn't pick this movie. In fact, this whole uh, series is the brainchild of one Sigmund Lamar. That's me. And But of course, I am more than happy to go along for this ride because It's a Mad, 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 Mad World is one of my, if not my all-time favorite movie, it's definitely up there. One of the most influential movies of my both movie watching and creative self, so... You know, no pressure here. But when I had the idea for this miniseries, this was the big bait on the hook, was to, to, to dangle this one out in front of you. Well, you know, it's, it's weird. I almost wanted to say, let's not do it. Why? If you can believe that. Like, I was like, oh, because it's one of those movies that I love so much. I, I kind of feel like there's nothing left to talk about. It's just, I would, it's just like, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm not going to say anything different. I love that. Love that too. <laughs> Casual racism? Uh, I don't love that so much. But I, excuse, I, I, I overlook that. <laughs> we'll try to we'll try to find some meat on the bone here. Um, let's talk about let's talk about this. So, it was intended to be the biggest movie of all, the biggest comedy of all time. Stanley Kramer does a bunch of issue dramas. Uh, inherit the wind, judgment at Nuremberg. Then somebody dares him, as the legend goes, to try making a comedy. So he says, "I'm not just going to make a comedy. I'm going to make the comedy to end all comedies, the biggest comedy of all time." <laughs> and so he assembles uh, a, a murderer's row of legendary comics talent. So if we're talking about ensembles, and this this series, this mini series, is going to have a lot of. Ensembles. This one goes like, how deep does this go? Would you say? You got to hit Dick Sean oh. before you hit somebody. I haven't seen in a in a movie before, or you know, don't oh, that... already kind of have like a lot of legend attached to them. Oh yeah, I mean, it goes it goes real deep. I mean, I mean, basically, this is one of those movies where every bit player is one of the biggest people of all time. You know, it just yeah. or or at least a well known person. They even got radio personalities in here. They've got TV. They got it's it's just chock full. Like if you if anyone's on screen, likely they're a legend of some sort, right. or at least a very well, highly prolific 
you know, performer. So to run through the main cast real quick, we got Spencer Tracy, Milton Berle, Sid mm-hmm. Caesar, Buddy Hackett, Ethel Merman, Mickey Rooney. Okay, all. Legends all, right? So there's six. Right. Then we hit Dick Sean. Like, I don't know him except for from this movie, right? He's been in some other stuff. He's done a lot. He's done a lot of stuff. He was okay. a big, big stage performer, too. Phil Silvers, big TV star Huge on the, in his yeah. day. Terry Thomas, who I don't know except from from this. Jonathan Winters, Edie Adams, who I only know as as um, Ernie Kovacs's spouse, uh, and Dorothy Praveen. That's the main cast. Then you got larger, uh, you know, people who are in- integral but smaller roles like Peter Falk, Eddie Rochester, Andy Devine. Movie's got a deep bench. Well, we could spend all day talking. Deep bench, <laughs> you know. We, yeah, just the opening credits are uh, are a lot of fun because you're like, oh, they're in this movie. Yeah, I know yeah. that name. And it just keeps going. And um, that opening t- title sequence was made by Saul Bass, who did all the Bond, uh, all the James Bond intros. A lot of nice. Just talk. back when we used to just like you watch, you while uh, you were taking your seat and opening your candies, you just got to watch a little cartoon that told you, right, warmed you up for the movie uh, <laughs> that you're about to watch. Exactly. Let all those late uh, comers, you know, sit down. I mean, heck, this uh, this was presented as like a roadshow presentation when it came out, which was, and apparently that version no longer exists anywhere. Like there's two, um, it was a 220 minute presentation that had the orchestra, had the overture, the intermission music, the credits, and all that stuff. And now, they for the general release, they just kind of they whittled it down to I think a 163 minute version and a 154 minute version. But that 221 version is gone. Like it's there's there's some scraps of scenes that they've cut into a special edition, which is is nice to see when you're interested in stuff. But when you look at it, you go, I, I know why they cut that. We didn't need that. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of footage that's just lost the time. Yeah, it's okay that it's under three hours. That's all right. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> But apparently, this was a um, this was not only that, but but what paved the way? Because why why would why would Hollywood at the time, who'd never invested much in comedies at all, like they were the cheap stuff, probably even cheaper than horror. They were um, not seen as as you know being things to hang your shingle on, like to invest much in. I mean, this was a this went over budget to nine point what three million dollars in nineteen sixty three money nineteen sixty three which would be I mean, seventy nine million in I yeah. went to twenty twenty dollars before our inflation went crazy um, but you know to like give a modern equivalent it would be like an eighty million dollar yeah. comedy which was by far at the time the most ever spent to produce a comedy film yeah but so how how did it come to this not just to not just because Stanley Kramer wanted to win a bet. <laughs> but you know the it's uh, apparently uh, the firm critic for the New York Post, Lou, what's his name, Lima Luichek, something like that, Lumeric, Lumeric. He he suggests it's because uh, around the world in eighty days hit so big. It was a over length, big budget, you know, movie that won Best Picture and made a lot of money. So suddenly they go, okay, so now we can make all these extra long fully like full deep bench casts uh, all-star epics to come uh none of them were really comedies but i guess someone thought this was a probably a pretty good idea to indulge 
uh, Kramer in this giant comedy. Yeah. Well, I ran the world in the 80s. I've never seen it. I've actually never read or seen I'm, any incarnation of that story, but I think that's supposed to me be... Me neither. Me neither. I think it's supposed to be a funny movie. I mean, his name is Phineas Fogg with two Gs. Pretty, <laughs> pretty funny name. That sounds funny. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I've never seen it either, so... I've never bothered either the new one or the or the original, so I don't know. I don't know. But you know, but uh, I, I thought that have, was interesting to say that that led into this. We might have considered starting with that one, but that's just one person racing against. Not so much the clock as the calendar, yeah, uh, and nobody else. So that does not. No, we need a we need a bunch of people all going need, for the same goal for to qualify for this uh, this right. miniseries. So we're gonna skip yeah, that one exactly. So tell us your. Um, so tell us your personal history with this movie. Like, the, how many times would you say you've seen it at this point? Uh, I've lost count. Probably more than Star, I've seen Star Wars, I would guess. Wow. Which is saying something. Because you can start watch Star um, Wars twice. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars yeah. fit on one VHS I'm, tape. I'm certain I've seen this countless times. Over 50, over for sure. I saw the 48th anniversary and 50th anniversary screenings at the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood. I've seen, uh, I first saw this movie, we taped it off a late night UHF station, Channel 4 out of, out of Indianapolis, when I was a kid, and the and we wore that tape out. In fact, the, the, the tape actually, the, the broadcast was actually over three hours because the station was having trouble and it would black out for long periods of time oh, wow. and then repeat the same three seconds like while it was trying to struggle, get back online. And we think we're having latency so problems it. with this recording. <laughs> exactly. So like when I, whenever I watch the movie, I'm, I'm almost miss seeing Ethel Merman get back in the truck several times going, he must have went out for the papers or something. He must have went out for the papers or something. He must have went out for the... Pa- <laughs> and then long periods of black. So, yeah, but even with that, we stuck with it, you know, and it was like... Um, and then my mom said that she saw it in the theater when she was a girl, a young girl, a woman. She said, you know, it wasn't 3D, but it felt like 3D at the end when, like, you know, the the, the, the we really thought that the... the fire uh, trucks ladder was coming right out at us it was like wow they were taking wait wait this is in 3d they, they, it was it was overwhelming when those little one like, inch dolls is... were falling from the ladder at, at the camera yeah. they thought <laughs> she was getting ready to catch well, them what's crazy is there's this one shot where i think um peter falk he falls from uh, build as third cab driver by the way oh wow huh. <laughs> crashes cr- he doesn't even have a name crashes through that bridge that little walking bridge over a pond and his body the body goes up and you're like okay so this is a um that's a dummy because we saw a dummy fall but then he comes up and he's waving and you're like that wasn't a dummy (laughs) either that or they had a guy underwater for a while but that's even more dangerous so some of the 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 stuff again yeah the the visual effects i don't think in, in this movie get enough credit and the uh, stunt work is just like amaze balls. I can't get over it. <laughs> how good the stunt work is. Well, measuring the laughs against the stunts in this movie is something I find interesting. No, no, I was just going to say this is probably one of the most influential movies of my life in terms of how I write, how I think about movies, how I create, how I be creative. 
He really is. We're going to need to dig into into how that has manifested for you. Um, my not well. <laughs> <laughs> my um, my personal experience is very different. Um, I did not see this until I was in college. It was one of those movies where. You know, I'd see references to the name. I had an idea of, like, it's just, it's the one with all those TV and radio comedians in it, not necessarily uh, movie comedians. <laughs> and it, those were all people I liked and admired, uh, but it was just one of those movies I had to get around to. You know, I, I don't remember ever coming across it until... Uh, I was in college and met you, and I think it was—I think it was largely your influence that uh, said, "Okay, well, I have to check this out." So I watched it on the double VHS tape I rented from probably Davis Street Video, yeah, where I st- where I used uh, to work. In my mind's eye, I'm like watching it in my dorm room on my little TV, like while I'm packing or something. Maybe packing at the end of the school year. Yeesh. Finished exams or something. <laughs> um, and then I think I've seen it. I think I've seen it three more times because I know I've seen it with the commentary track. And we watched it in the park in Chicago. They were doing a mm-hmm. screening in the park and we were there. Seymour swears that she wasn't there. I remember her being there. I remember her being there too. Uh, okay, she swears that she wasn't. I remember her complaining about this movie before we watched it last week. <laughs> oh, I, I, I certainly do. I remember too. I'm, I'm glad to have your corroboration on that. So I, I've seen it at least three times, and I think four. Well, I I remember that screening in in the park very very vividly because it was the first time I ever suspect I ever had the inkling that this movie may not be as universally beloved as I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember you said quite like shocked and incredulously. Wait, you genuinely like this movie? I thought you liked it ironically. I was like, no, I genuinely love this movie. Because there are many movies that you do love ironically. You have a... Yeah. And there are other movies. I mean, there are movies that that I genuinely love that I know aren't great, but I still genuinely love them non-ironically, like... um, like a private eyes of famously, as I've said before, but this movie, I don't love, I love genuinely. And I think it's a brilliant movie. Like, I don't love it just because I think it's it, because of what it means to me. I genuinely think it's great. Well, you, okay. You tipped my hand. Uh, I was being a little, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. I was being a little coy because just in case we're getting any new listeners, I didn't want to piss them off right away. If somebody, <laughs> Somebody is just like uh, loves loves this movie and wants to hear everything about it, and so they were searching the title uh, in the podcast when they're listening to it. I didn't want to 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 piss them off at me. I didn't want to be the Ethel Merman in their road so trip. You want you want our metrics to fall off at least halfway through, not right at the beginning. I wanted them to hear you. <laughs> Gush about it first. <laughs> well, they will. Before they I will in. hear me gush about it, they will. Good. They'll hear me defend their honor. <laughs> all right. Well, with that all out of the way, why don't you uh, you take over the show here? You take the driving wheel and just uh, walk us through like what you think is great and what works uh, and is lovely about it's a mad, 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 mad world. Well. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
hey, that's in the spirit of this because, movie. <laughs> because no, because it's funny. Because the thing that's that I find interesting to talk about this movie is the things. Uh, the things I think are interesting to talk about this movie are the things that don't work because they're the anomalies. Okay, all right. Or, 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 or more importantly, how quizzical why it works for me. Uh, why, it's quizzical like why it works for me. Okay. Like, I think I can see how someone wouldn't like this, would be, would be um, critical of this movie because you could say probably accurately that there are little to no jokes in this comedy. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, not and, much in the way and then, of jokes. And then you, I remember the first time I saw it. Jimmy Durante dies. He kicks the bucket. I'm like, oh, okay, this is going to be a a fun, funny movie. And then, like, I kept waiting for one more shot like that, and it never comes. <laughs> it never comes. No, in it, it almost in a way. This this movie is written by uh, a husband and wife team. William Rose and Tanya Rose, Tania Rose. And I, I was looking them up this morning because I realized I never really looked into the screenwriters. What's interesting is, is that Tania Rose, um, she's only credited with two screenplays, this being one of them. The other one being another collaboration with her husband, Touch and Go. Yet when I read her obituary and I read other things about her, she's, they say, well, she co-wrote Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with her husband, but since her, her, since that won an Oscar for best screenplay and all that other stuff, yeah, only he's credited. Okay, makes sense because <laughs> of the times. So I think she probably pretty much pretty much collaborated with him on all most to all of his screenplays. Yeah. But then and then they their their marriage split in uh, uh, 1970. Yeah, I wonder why. Uh, <laughs> but um, but. It almost was like this was um, another story that wasn't really supposed to be a, you know, for lack of a better term, balls out comedy. But then Kramer, because this is his usual, I mean, I think, you know, uh, this kind of more dramatic fare knows how to spot a dramatic script and then just filled it with every comedian he ever that's out there. And uh, as Arnold Stang put it, uh, who plays um, Ray, one of the gas station guys, he said, if you weren't in, you were if you weren't in this movie, you were nobody. Like everyone was clamoring to get into it because it meant that you were somebody in the world of comedy and you didn't want to be seen as not in the world of comedy by not being in this movie. He even broke his wrist right before shooting and he's, he didn't tell anybody because he's like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to not be in this movie. So he's got those big gloves on. So that entire gas station fight, he's got a cast on underneath. Yeah. It doesn't really explain Um, why. Nothing against Dorothy Praveen and Edie Adams, but why why couldn't those be comedic roles? Why couldn't they get comedians in those parts? Or if Dorothy well, Praveen, who I now have seen is, is is and Edie Adams, they're both funny in other things. Why aren't they getting yeah, a single Edie laugh is a comedian. in uh, she, in this movie? I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna push back on you on that. Um, Edie Adams, I think, is really funny. In fact, she's one of my favorite performers in it. She's grown to be. Dorothy Ravine has a lot of funny lines. They're just uh, they're they're not they're not meant to be huge guffaws, but she, they kind of regulate her to being she because she's got that scene at the end, which is to me a heartbreaking scene. It kills me every time I see it. Yeah, it's where a dramatic she's scene. you know being the chief. Yeah, it's her dramatic scene where she's uh, you know finds the big W because she's the only one not looking for it, and then Spencer Tracy approaches her and she has she 
she she opens her heart about basically how much her life sucks. Yeah. And she would want to go somewhere where all these awful men in her life, her, her brother included, her brother, her husband, her family could never find her. And then when the when Pike finds the, the money, she has that heartbreaking line of, well, it was a nice dream. Lasted almost about five minutes. Yeah. And that kills really me every time. I start thinking about it. moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really but we is. were talking about and not out of comedians clamoring to be in this movie, <laughs> right? But that doesn't mean. But I'm just saying the movie still. We've always complained that dramas have to, or comedies have to still work as a story. I think it's usually wrong when story it, when generic story beats are prized over comedy in those movies. But it still has to work as a story, right? I'm, so like, yeah, but either that or we just be utter about. chaos. I'm not, I don't. I know. I know. <laughs> I I got onto that scene. I might as well. I thought I might as well mention it. But I was just basically saying she didn't have to be a comedic role. You know what I mean? I think it's just weird that Ethel in this huge cast, Ethel Merman is the only female comic they got. You know, no Lucille Ball. No. Yeah, and she wasn't even. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I was going to say Imogene Coca. No, Imogene Coca. Who's the Chrysler guy? And who's the one from your show of shows? <laughs> Always, oh right well it's imaging coca yeah okay imaging uh carol it Burnett, is, it is know, true like there's uh, how could they Care not now. get another they couldn't get a second funny female part in this movie it's just i don't know it's weird I, it is weird i mean that uh, it is weird and also that's the um i read this morning that I, they said that judy garland was supposed to be in this as mickey rooney's wife now that would have been cool but she went off and i went yeah but well, so I guess instead of that, they they put in Buddy Hackett. Is that how that would have worked? Benji Benjamin. <laughs> she could have been called. Yeah, she Benji still Benjamin. could have been called Benji Benjamin. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So so yeah, I, I take your points well taken. Um, the, the, the the definitely that uh, the 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 female comics were sorely underrepresented, if not at all <laughs> represented in the movie. Um, I do think Ethel Merman's great in this movie, and I think she is one of the. Oh, she's fantastic! She's probably in my top. In fact, in the main cast, I think she's probably number two. Yeah, I mean, she's she's amazing, and like, and we'll get into the more of this later because I I, I you know was growing throughout my life. I was growing uncomfortable with her being this, with her role being somewhat of a of a, of a stereotype, or excuse me, thoroughly a stereotype, <laughs> but she just does it so well. But the more I've grown up, the more, you know, the movie doesn't, it hints at it if if blatantly does not explore it because it's a comedy. Um, hints at, you know, like why she, uh, you know, has to be the way she is in order to navigate the world that she lives in. But we'll get on to that later. But she's she's an amazing performance in this. I, I love it so much. Um, but I think this movie, so if if there's no jokes really and it's shot wide screen and 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 Kramer lets all the the comedians basically try to upstage one each other each other constantly because <laughs> yeah. honestly that's what the characters are trying to do right so it's this uh you know so if there's no real where's the humor then what 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 is the humor in this movie where why is the does humor? it make a sm smile yes well is it very I under think... a big w did they know? Did they was it it's next there. to the box of it's, money and they didn't find it? I, I think this is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And yet I also acknowledge 
where's the humor in it? And I think the humor comes from from its excess, from how big it gets. Like the things that happen in this movie, things that happen in this movie shouldn't be this big. You know, it, yeah. it they they just they absolutely should not be. But the fact that they are um, is because it's not it's not spectacle alone. You can't just say, oh, it's spectacle. Well, spectacle doesn't always make you laugh. You know what I mean? It's it's uh, it's 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 the fact that it's it's big when it shouldn't be big. <laughs> well, King Kong is big when it shouldn't be big. Are you laughing at King Kong? Well, no, no, King Kong should is exactly how big King Kong should be. He just shouldn't be in the city. No, he changes sizes in the movie. He's <laughs> he can't he can't even decide how big he is. He keeps getting bigger. <laughs> okay, good point. <laughs> But take 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 the gas. Uh, let's let's. I, I don't want to jump to one of the bigger discussions, but it's on my mind. Okay, it, it's and I think it's inherent to to understanding why this movie is so funny. Is the gas station fight, the famous gas station destruction scene? Yes, where Jonathan Winters and Marvin uh, uh, and uh, and Ray Stang, uh, no Arnold Stang have a fight that destroys this gas station, just completely destroys it. Yes. This, and you this think is about the, this how is the, the best sequence in the movie, this is the best set piece in the movie by far. I, I, I would argue that the end is, but this is your, this is your, um, this is your airport battle from civil war. This is your uh, bar fight in Desperado. This is the scene that is, the most memorable. Yeah. No, the um, end, the, no you're... Uh, okay, yeah, go on. Yeah. No, the, end, the ending yeah, set piece is very good, too. It's this, it's this one and that one. Right. Those are the two. Right. They're kind of on par, I think. And yet, all the driving sequences are crazy good, but these are the two set pieces that really are the highlights of the movie. And um, the gas station fight... But the gas station fight is interesting because it's one of the main characters and two nobodies in the movie, right? Two side characters. And the setup, if you know, for those of you who don't know or don't remember, the setup is that Phil Silvers has con uh, uh, come across Jonathan Winters in the desert. Jonathan Winters explains the whole story. Phil Silvers gets greedy, tricks Jonathan Winters into and, and abandons him in the desert and is presumably going off to find the money without him. Jonathan Winters is incensed. Phil Silvers has a blowout, goes to the station, this new gas station. Jonathan Winters catches up, tries to kill Phil Silvers, uh, and the two, with, our two, by, uh, two gas station attendants. inflatable inner tubes. <laughs> tires. <laughs> Not really. In the, most chill, in the, the most chilling line in the movie, you thought someone would stumble over a little girl's bicycle in the dark, huh? Well, when I'm through with you, they'll be stumbling over you in the dark. <laughs> and, uh, and the two gas station attendants subdue him, knock him out cold. Phil Silvers takes off and says, lies to them and says, you know, take care of him. The police will be around sooner, but he just takes off. So then we go back to this, these guys later, they've tied, they're tying these two hapless lied to gas station tents are tying up Jonathan Winters. Jonathan Winters comes to gets mad that he's being tied up, breaks free, hulks out, says, and goes, you guys better back off. And they attack him some more. So he hulks out and, and it's like butch in a hillbilly basement. <laughs> exactly. And in the process of fighting these two poor schmoes, 
destroy like levels this raises this gas station right and then takes off yeah and that's the end so why is it i mean i'm i'm tingly with joy and excitement thinking about this but why it's a horrible scenario it is a terribly frightened scenario um and there's no jokes in it but yet the way that this the gas station is constructed which had to been a marvel of construction they had to plan out each bit of these shots in order for it to work because the it's photographed gorgeously and in in 4k on the criterion collections 4k it's weird because you can honestly see that none of these people are the performers half the time. <laughs> <laughs> the stunt people are amazing. And then they've choreographed all this stuff out to where, you know, this ceiling uh, uh, support beam collapses here. He puts them on the cart, pushes them out the window. And by doing so, that brings down the patio on top of, you know, it, take, it takes out that lattice work, which takes, uh, brings down this section of the building. It's all planned out really meticulously. And it's, it's gorgeous. And I go, why is this so satisfying and funny? Because it's actually tragic. These two poor guys are just doing what they think is right, what they've been told, which is, in fact, a lie. They have been, uh, uh, they have been misled. And as a result, <laughs> they, are they are being um, punished. And um, or they are being, having all these bad consequences happen to them because they're just trying to do what they believed was right. Yeah. And you're going, so like, why is this funny? And th but so I, I, I start trying to convince myself that it's not funny, that it's actually <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing at it. Right. I keep trying to convince myself, well, this is wrong. I shouldn't be laughing at this. But then I think <laughs> then here's a thought thought experiment for you, Ziggy. OK. Um, what if what if we changed it? And what if. Uh, Marv and Irwin, Ray and Irwin, excuse me, Ray and Irwin, the, the gas station guys. What if they intentionally kidnapped Jonathan Winters with the intent to rob them, to rob him or something else? Um, and then Jonathan Winters gets hulks out, gets loose, and they get to come up by having their entire gas station destroyed. Is that funny? Um, hmm. It, I mean, it could be. If that's the only detail that's changed, that we're not on their side at all in the scene. Uh, right. Because, like, yeah, because in the movie, we're on, we're kind of, you know, Pike is one of the more likable characters. Yeah. So we're kind of on his side. He's maybe the only likable character. I, I'm, I'm going to go that far. <laughs> right. I'm going to go that far. I, and I will talk more about that uh, later. You, <laughs> um uh, right, he might be the only likable character, and then yet he's he the only is character this monster. That the movie, no, there's there's two characters that the movie bothers to try to get you to sympathize with, and he's the one that where it succeeds. <laughs> that's my that's the argument I'm going <laughs> to make. The other, are, is the other one Emmeline? Am, is the other one Emmeline? Is that who you're talking about? Uh, which one's Emmeline? Oh yeah, uh, Milton Berle's wife. Oh yeah, her. Uh, no, uh, you're right, Dorothy Praveen, um and Spencer Tracy, the three characters who get close-ups in the movie, right? Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the the three close-ups in the three oh, hours that's not, of this movie. That's not true, but okay. No, that's not true, but I'll let it slide. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so like we got we got we got um, um, Jim Backus gets one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so like then we've got our the one guy we actually like actively trying to hurt. And destroy this business of this these two guys, um, and 
yet we're it's like he's doing a terrible thing, but that we're we're, we're all about it. Why? And I I, I do think it has something to do because if if you change the intent and you make and you make them actually aggressive towards him and not a mistaken identity or something like that, then it's just a more of a dramatic situation. Then you might have like a satisfying comeuppance that, oh, he beat the bad guys or, you know, but it doesn't, it's not fun. So why, why, so why is it that this scenario produces fun? And I think, it, I don't know, I think it just comes down to the, the fact that it's fun because we know that, you know, even though they all both mean it, it's not, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, how to, how to say it. I mean, I, it's I think, like, I think a lot of it is that every bit of destruction is like twice as much destruction as should happen given what we just saw, like what we just saw right. the characters do. <laughs> right. 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 And it doesn't, it's, it's, it, it like, it stops feeling like a real building. Like it, it feels like <laughs> something you built out of cardboard as a kid and took joy out of knocking over. Right. It feels like it's made out of building blocks. And I think, right. it, I think it yeah, taps exactly. into that, like that child, like, I mean, Pike is basically a big child in this movie. And yeah, he looks like he's he's like a baby in this with yeah. that cap and the one suit and the one suit. He's like a giant baby. And he just rode a little girl's bicycle and he just has a very naive kind of, you know, outlook on things. He's the most trusting. He's the most indignant when he's his trust is violated. And, and so I, I, I don't know. I feel like it. I feel like it's it's tapping into that where it's just so unreal. Yeah. If it was like if we were seeing a lot of glass breaking and like. The cash register, I, like something they'd worked really hard on, you know. If this was like the scene in, I don't know why I'm thinking of this movie, the scene in uh, Batteries Not Included where <laughs> they they smash up the, the old couple's store, you know. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel visceral in that way at all. It's so, it's so no, suspended it doesn't. from reality that you don't even, you don't think of the consequences of it. It looks like you could just pick this back up and and lean the walls against each other and you put the gas station back together. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, it's the equivalent of like someone spitting in one shot and then on somebody and the next shot is the person being spat on and they throw a bucket of water on them, you yeah, know? Right, yeah. It's like there's not that much spit. Right. You know? You can't even take offense <laughs> at it <laughs> that he got spit in the face. Right, you can't right. think of it as like, what? It's like, Jesus Christ, what was that? Yeah. And then you com- that's compounded by the fact that these two poor hapless guys, it's un- it's unnecessary. Like, like the action that happens has unnecessarily large consequences. And the whole thing at the very root is unnecessary because it's built on a lie, you know? Yeah. So, like, none of this should be happening. And I think that's why it's so funny is and, because none of this should be happening right now and at also, every level. And also because we've seen <laughs> Pike, Jonathan Winters get get betrayed, like, twice already. Three times because, yeah. he, you know, he's going to get the least amount of shares out of everybody. He's... <laughs> he just comes off as the most honest, the most genuine... He's he's the one that's played for the sucker the most. So we've just so thoroughly gotten on his side. We're rooting for this guy. And then he gets guy. to explode. Yeah, with so, righteous anger. <laughs> and it also just feels like this movie like has been 
waiting to unleash itself and here it is like here, here it's happening and here it like, is uh here's how big this movie can go and i think it's a real i think it's just one of the real failings that we go from this scene right into uh dick sean's dance number which is like the other big laugh of the movie and these are both before intermission and we're not going to hit this energy again until the finale and for me, like that, mm. that's my biggest problem with this movie is it yeah. we, we we need this level of energy more, or we need f- fewer a shorter downstretch between between these peaks. Yeah, there could have been another peak because honest, but because I would argue honestly, after the gas station fight, you need to come down because <laughs> that's pretty high. <laughs> you you stay at that level the whole time, I think you'll be wore out. You know, in- interestingly enough, that gas station scene, the the a cut scene that was cut from it, um, that I'm I'm I think, uh, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about it being cut. I like I like the gas station just falling down, and then being done with. Yeah. You know, but um, they had a cut scene where Ray comes up from that they they actually have a couple of cut scenes from the scene uh, shots from the scene is that cops are across the street watching it. <laughs> And these, these two cops are just across the street watching this gas station be torn apart because they've been instructed not to, not to intervene, right? And so, it's, so they're just watching all this happen going, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then the whole thing gets leveled. And then as soon as Pike drives away, the cops speed up. And Ray comes out of the rubble and is going, Erwin! Where are you? And then Erwin kind of comes up and he's look, they're looking at their, their livelihood gone. And then the cops come up and go, are you guys okay? And they said, you were here? Why didn't you do something? And everybody goes, yeah, never a cop when you need one. And when they're here, they do even less. That's timely, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the cops are staring at them. And as, as they're, te- they're berating them and saying, you cops, you're just sitting there watching. Why didn't you do something? Why didn't you help us? Why didn't you do all this stuff? The cops are looking at them slat-jawed, and when they finish their tirade, the cop looks at the other one and goes, they're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> which, <laughs> which I bring up because I think that's the key to understanding the movie, is like it's so big, and you can't believe <laughs> that it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> They're still alive. <laughs> I have a I have a different key to understanding the movie. <laughs> <laughs> understanding it in a different way. I I feel like okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna zoom out. Can I zoom out here? Oh, but just to say, if sure, if, please. If you're like me and the gas station sequence is like the reason to watch this movie, check out the Laurel and Hardy short Big Business, which is just the gas exactly. station. Exactly. Um, right, and I was going to say that's <laughs> that's the same principle as the gas station scene. Yeah. It's that it's that escalation to absurd heights of destruction, and it makes me you feel know. guilty in and just a way. <laughs> this made you feel guilty, <laughs> but it's awesome. Exactly, it's awesome. It's unreal how good it is. Okay, zoom out. Mm-hmm. For me, the key to this movie is that it's a black comedy that doesn't know it's a black comedy. That's how I feel watching this movie. I feel like this is such a pessimistic 
view of humanity where, where essentially like even the score is saying all of this is pointless everyone's just going in circles no one's getting anywhere and there's nothing to be done about it <laughs> and, but it, but it plays it straight it plays it as if it's just a lighthearted romp like oh well anybody would do the same thing if they heard that $350,000 was Buried under a big W. <laughs> you don't even need to know what they would do with the money. We don't hear a single, you know, we know that, uh, what's his name, will will his, uh, get solvent with his edible seaweed company. We know Pike is right. probably a working class stiff who would like to be comfortable for the first time in his life. But we also have a dentist and a couple of uh, Vegas entertainers who are presumably doing all right. And we never even question, yeah. like, do they need the money? What, what are they going to do with the money? What does this money mean to them? It, movie doesn't ans- answer that question because it doesn't ask it. It doesn't care. Um, I I think that I think that's weird. You know, it's it's interesting. I was thinking about this very point this morning. In fact, the next thing on my list was the cynicism of this movie. It's a very cynical movie, and it's uh, like just like you said. So I was excited that you went right here now. Um, and I was thinking about this very point this morning, how how even in the opening scene. I, OK, so I'm very obsessive about this movie to where I love the the order of the cars that find them <laughs> in, the, in the order that they drive in and who gets them. Because you got the white Imperial, you got the blue whatever station wagon, you've got the red Volkswagen and then you got the gray blue um, moving van. Right. And I never thought about it before, but it's 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 a. Um, it's a series of the levels of class. Hmm. You've got the business imperial, the white imperial in the front, businessman. You've got middle class dentist next. You've got the gig economy, the Vegas performers, the HP guys. And then you've got the blue collar, you know, mover, right? I never thought about it before. And then when that, that great cut scene where they go back, where they're trying to figure they start to gain interest and worry about the um, uh, big W. It's funny how you're going front to back and then front to back and front to back again, but it's the back ones at the bottom who are first like on board with, with going for it. Hmm. And then it just, it keeps going. And then there's that great line when they're in the chase going, we're in the Imperial and we're, we're, we're going last. <laughs> That kind of elitist kind of like anger at we should be in front because we are in the imperial. I think I think it's calculated. I don't think it's 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 decidedly weird that but I think it's calculated that you don't put any of these people in need, you know, except for Spencer Tracy, Spencer Tracy. And that's its own case. But, um, uh, you know, as you said, Milton Berle's got having a nervous breakdown trying to keep up with with capitalism and then you just assume the mover is going to need it, but no one really needs it. They're just kind of, they're almost more fueled by agitation with each other, you know, from trying to figure out the shares. If they even go like, this is something I guess we should do if there's money there, Uh, you know, I guess we should do it. Mm -hmm. And then they just get really more agitated about things not being quote unquote fair when, and if we later talk about misogyny, in this movie, I, I, I think there's a pointed joke about misogynies in these scenes where Ethel Merman, uh, who's 
obviously, no, obviously pushy and and kind of like you know uh, stereotypically grating. Um, comes out and says the most sensible thing. She goes, "There were eight of us there, so that simply means eight shares. Three for us, two for you." And the immediately inter- Mickey Rooney interrupts her and says, "Oh, this is pointless. We're not going to get anywhere <laughs> listening to this old bag." <laughs> And it's like, that was the fairest thing there, right? Right. And they just totally dismiss her because she's a woman. Say, oh, yeah, she is an old bag. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, see, that's the thing. I think the movie, and I'm I'm crediting this to uh, Tania Rose, the the co-screenwriter, that she says the most sensible thing, but because she's a woman, it's ignored, and then the whole folly happens. However, I can't necessarily say that the audience is watching this derive its pleasure from that element yeah i don't i don't <laughs> they're think probably the... deriving it from from them uh say going, yeah she is an old bag but yeah i don't think the scene plays that way from a i i i think the scene I plays it... that if if she weren't in there causing a ruckus the the menfolk would the same menfolk who dutifully went down to check on the dying man leaving the lady folk behind with the cars because why would a lady go down to climb down there that if they could all sort this out if Ethel Merman weren't in the mix screwing it up? That's, well, no, that's I, how I think the scene plays. I disagree. Um, I think the scene is actually very well written to the sense that they are so opposed to acknowledging the inclusion of women, even to the point where they say, and that covers everything, including the emancipation of women. They, they totally lay it out there. And I think... I honestly do think that the scene is is supposed to be saying we hate women so much <laughs> that we we're, we are not going to we're at at to our detriment we are going to fly in their face of whatever they say just because they're there. Uh, and I and I I don't I don't think the scene I I think that scene it's always played that way for me. Hmm. Ever since the first time I saw it on I never thought that it actually was a misogynist scene. I always thought it was commenting on it. See, I because there's really no other. I'm going to add a, 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 a qualifier to your statement because the way I read the movie is, the movie doesn't hate women; it hates women who speak for themselves, who speak up. <laughs> you know, Amy Adams well, and Dorothy Provine well, are, are perfectly fine as long as they're pretty and quiet. Then you can, you know. Well, that's they, that's they, the inherent. That's they, that's they might be scared. That's how you they define. Might be timid, but you just reassure them that it's going to be okay. It's just an explosion. It's a loud noise. Yeah, but what actually happens in that scene? That scene with the with the explosion. I mean, Sid Caesar. They say if you go in there, you're going to be killed. You're going to be blown to bits. And he's like, "Why don't you have a little confidence in me?" And then it blows up. And then who's comforting who there? Sid Caesar dives in Edie Adams' laps, and Edie Adams is the one who's going, shh, there, it's okay. The one who doesn't like loud noises is comforting her husband. Yeah. I mean, that's... But in the next... I mean, yeah, that's a, supposed to be a joke. In the next turn... But it's, it's a commentary, in too. In the next turn, she's like, before you try the dining would you please take more nurse swing at the door, which is just sending him up into another big pratfall. Like, it's, it's, it's her... <laughs> but, <laughs> right? Like, that was that her fault. That's yeah, but on I, her. I don't... Yeah, exactly. And that's fine. You know, look, being anti-misogynist isn't acknowledging, isn't the lack of acknowledging faults, you know? And I think that is a relation, that is a, that is a legitimate relationship complaint. <laughs> <laughs> but to, to, to your point, to your point, 
Well, also, if you notice, you know, since Caesar hits the sta- the stairs before he hits the door, so it's kind of his fault. <laughs> um, I don't know. So I, 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 he I knew how dangerous Shelley it was. Kramer and he's... a lot of credit here. For the, who, his next movie would be Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which would be like the least progressive, liberal-minded movie you could possibly make. <laughs> Written by the same people. Yeah. Written by the same people, yeah. actually. Yeah. That's a really funny point. Uh, the uh, misogyny, I think, was is... I was reading this killer thread on Twitter about um, the, the misogyny of, of like women who who talk too much or are too assertive or whatnot. And the I thought the key to mis- of misogyny was that women who are judged to be too mouthy, talky, bossy... You know things like that. They're not they're, uh, women who talk too much. They're not judged against men who talk. They're judged against women who are silent. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's, right. that's the key. It's like they're, it's like if you if that woman over there, she's fine because she's not talking. You know, and, and so you know, I think I ever since a young and, and I don't know, maybe I you know, if you want to give me more credit than the movie, I go right ahead. But whenever <laughs> I watch the movie, I, I see, I see um, the impl- the uh, the embodiment of uh, scenes like of the of there was a cartoon I saw with a man and woman at dinner, and the man says, "Let me interrupt your expertise with my confidence." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, um, I mean, Edie Adams has slowly th- uh, throughout me watching this movie has become one of my favorite people in the movie because she 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 is like doesn't want to get in the way. She's like she, she's like she keeps keeps to herself most of the time. And when she interjects, she demurs and she's whatever. But she's always putting out like, well, you know, I think we ought to do this. And the men steamroller over the taller stupid for thinking that stuff. And then every time that that the men's stupidity proves disastrous, her expressions are priceless. And so, like, she quickly has become one of my favorite people in the movie. And that does, and, and I still think they she gets opportunities to be funny here and there, you know, just not as much as everybody else, not as much as Sid Caesar gets the opportunity. <laughs> but and that's not to say that this movie doesn't have misogyny into it i do think it it does i mean i have a very complicated relationship with the very last moment of the movie where ethel merman storms in starts berating everybody and whoop de doo slips on a banana peel it is a good like pratfall. it's a backbreaking pratfall it's huge the stunt person did a crazy job on that uh, um, <laughs> and i got a whole dissert i got a whole dissertation on that that we can get into later, but like, I, you know, so I, I acknowledge that this is a movie from the sixties. It has misogynist and racist moments and tendencies in it and viewpoints. Oh yeah. But sure. I, I think, I think Tanea, I think Tanea Rose, and I'm going to credit her just because it seems logical. <laughs> um, I think she's gotten into the story. Some, some more, prog- or at least if not progressive, then like, just highlighting the regret, the the uh, highlighting the hate that is needless, that does not need to be there. You know, I think I think it's purposeful in a lot of times. I really do. Hmm. 
but it, and, and if and if and if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, uh, if we go back in time and ask everyone and I'm wrong, then it's what I do to make it palatable. <laughs> yeah, I think that's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> Which is fine. Um, you know, I, I like all sorts of problematic stuff. It's, it's, um, I, I, this is a movie that a lot of the scenes play where the comic energy is everybody yells at each other. <laughs> and so I don't yeah. know. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't find a lot of sensitivity uh, in this movie. Oh no, there's there. Well, no, there is no sensitivity in the movie uh, except for the fact that that you you got to look at it from the cause and effect point of view. You know, of like it's 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 kind of built more into the why the conversation is going where it is rather than being sensitive to one person or the other. Because then it wouldn't be funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a very. It, it's a cynical and and um, sometimes angry movie. Yeah. The, like I was so excited to show it to my son, who liked it. Oh, good. He watched the whole thing. Oh wow. Uh, and has often wanted to see the gas station scene again and again. Sure. He said he he keeps talking about like I showed him Top Secret the other night, and he did really like it too. It took some get. It took some getting to get him to sit there. Okay, but he he did like it a lot because he goes I he was like I love cartoon physics in movies. Oh, nice. See that I go yeah all right great that there you go that's awesome. He likes to see <laughs> real world things operate like cartoons. He likes and so, seeing girls twirled so, around by their hair during a dance sequence. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I hate to say I do too. That was really funny. It is funny. <laughs> I like uh, I like uh, dummy humor. I can, I just love dummy humor. I always have. I always will. It's funny that the girls um, like it. <laughs> right, right, right. But so I'm watching the movie, and then at the end, we're watching my favorite sequence, the latter sequence. Yeah. And I'm watching all our main characters get horribly mangled and <laughs> and hurt, and I'm going, oh my god, why did I want to show this to him? Like it, it rung different, and I was like, "I'm just watching a bunch of people get hurt." And so, why do I love this so much? Well, they asked. Is it for comeuppets it. only? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, is, is it just the comeuppets? Is it like what? What is it? And I have my favorites. I like that everyone. I like that everyone gets gets attention. I love that everyone gets their own moment. You know, and like um, it's something that means a lot to me that each character isn't disregarded it each gets its own kind of thing so like and then i'm like why why do i want this punitive kind of ending to these characters that i genuinely like um weird and as a kid i always loved mickey rooney and buddy hackett the most but the older i got the more i realized they're the they're the worst <laughs> wait, wait, like what do you mean like you at least them the most like they thought they were the funniest or well, i like well yeah, I gravitated towards them the most. I liked their car. I liked Buddy Hackett from The Love Bug. I liked Mickey Rooney from whatever it was I saw him at the time when I was young. Okay. And I just, I, I thought they were, I was rooting for them. Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> yeah, Breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Um, but, like, I, but as I as I got older, I'm like, they're they're mean, they're rude, they're they're completely... Uh, uninterested in humanity 
Yeah. And I'm like, why did I like them so much? They are actually of all the people I think they're I think they're worse than Phil Silvers. What do you think their act is? We we don't really find out. Yeah, I don't know. I I I think I read somewhere that Ding, that Dingy Bell, <laughs> that's his name, Dingy Bell. Uh, I think he was a singer. Okay. And I I I so that I don't know if Benji is his manager or what. Or are they like a, a I don't, Martin and Lewis kind of act? You think like a song and comic I, combo? Yeah, I don't know. I guess sense. so. I would think that's that would make sense. But we never know. And to your point, like we never, yeah, we never know what. And I, I think, I think because we never know if the anyone actually need the money, then it's not. A, then we don't have um, sympathy for their plight, you know. Because I think it's key that the audience not have sympathy for them. Because otherwise, like, did you see the new Home Alone remake? I don't know <laughs> no. if we talked about this or not. No, the the, the new Home, Home Alone sequel slash remake. It starts out, and I'm like, actually, this is kind of okay. And, and, and oh boy, it is not. But <laughs> but Rob De, Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper are the two, like, the, they are the new people who are break, coming into the house and and getting beat up by the little child. Ellie Kemper, really? And, Weird. Yeah. Well, what's even weirder is that they're the most sympathetic people in the movie. They are a family who are falling on hard times that Rob Delaney can't get another job and they're going to have to, they're going to have to sell their family home. Now, granted, they've got a lot of buyers who are wanting to buy it. So it's not like they can't get more money, but they don't want to leave their fa- home. They raise their family in. And this little pissant kid comes over to their house, to their open house, just to use the bathroom. Uh, he's eyeing this old vintage doll that he had in the closet with an up downside down face, they leave, and Rob Delaney realizes that that doll is worth on eBay like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hmm. He goes to look for it, and it's gone, and realizes that this kid stole it. Turns out he didn't, but that's the presumption. Okay. So the movie is them trying to break into his house while he's home alone. Weird. To save their family, their family home, and then we watch as they get horribly mutilated and injured <laughs> and we're like by this rich fucking kid right well this is like the and gas like, station scene i don't this is yeah, yeah. okay that, okay this is a, this is a good thing uh, this is actually a great a great point uh a counterpoint to that also they're they want to kill this they, they get really angry and they're coming after this kid for all these things that have happened to them and once they find out he's home alone, because they thought there was like a German nanny in there for some reason, once they find out he's home alone, suddenly they go, oh, we wouldn't have done any of this if we thought you were home alone. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and then the family... <laughs> and then the families become friends in the end, even though they destroyed their house. Which, you know, it, the, the movie inadvertently makes a case for um, sinking the rich, because the rich just have too much fucking money. <laughs> so, like... Um, but that's a good point because because we're watching these two get hurt, but we have so sympathized with their plight, we don't want to see them hurt. Ray and Irwin are just two hapless victims, but we have nothing to sympathize with them for other than just being two dupes. And we can project our own selves onto them and go, I feel like I've been there before, and we can laugh. Yeah. But if they got too far into their history or Pike's 
you know, his, it, then, then it would have just sunk the whole thing. I mean, there are a couple of betas, and we're all rooting for Pike to become <laughs> alpha. <laughs> yeah, I guess because Pike was the that, now that makes it that makes it real creepy because Pike was the beta becoming the alpha on these uh, zetas, <laughs> deltas. <laughs> That's terrible. But yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if you're going to be a cartoon, be a cartoon. You don't need to go. The more in depth you go, the more like um, what's uh, the, the world's end. Did you see the world's end? No, no. Didn't catch that one. Uh, maybe I won't ruin it for you then. But it's real fun until they layer in an, a more a, 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 a socio. Usually I like my comedies to have some sort of commentary and sociopolitical kind of undercurrent. But they overlay this new thing at the end, which is interesting, but it it robs the whole movie retroactively of its fun, of its fun. You know what I mean? Hmm. And you're like, well, now I can't watch this again and have fun now that I know <laughs> that these, you know, alien, alien possessing robots are actually a marginalized populace. Thanks, movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like how Captain Marvel ruled all the scroll uh, storylines in every Marvel. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right. Oh, these were good guys all along. Go no. <laughs> Where where's my plain old bad Russian bad guy? Oh, oh wait, no. I can go watch Nobody and then I'm fine. You can watch anything <laughs> these days. Like that's the that's yeah. the safe uh villain in every movie. Just give him a Russian accent. Yeah. Put him in a tracksuit. Oh, because I think yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cuz this this movie, you could say this movie is about greed. Naturally, you could say that, but I don't know. I don't, you know, they never really appear greedy except for when they're actually over digging the hole and pulling the thing out and that everyone's licking their lips and shit. But like the rest of the movie feels like they just simply are rankled by everybody else. I think they it's want just about them, the emptiness you know? of life. <laughs> yes, exactly. Even like, when you try like, to do a decent thing on... like Culpepper, you're still going to get screwed. So you might as well be an asshole. I think that's what the movie is about. Right. And, and then you're still going to get punished by it. Because, yeah. I mean, if you look at it, like Culpepper, because why is Culpepper the lead? Right. Why is he the main oh, character? Because of Spencer Tracy. He's the main character. Be- Right, but when they wrote the script, yeah, presumably they didn't write it with him in mind. But why is he the main character? I think he's the main character. He's, um, <laughs> I mean, there's some you can you can, again, th- his phone calls with his wife and daughter, you can, <sighs> you can see played and written as very. There's misogyny right there. This poor fellow. Oh my God, I have this to listen. Poor to This fella. Can this you poor believe fella. what he has to endure? But, I, but when you look at the movie. As a whole, I I think there's opportunity, at least if you're thinking about it, there's opportunity to look at it like here's a guy who has devoted his life to his job, maybe presumably so he doesn't have to devote his life to his home, <laughs> <laughs> as most people did back then, um, and maybe it's still to today. Um, so he's devoted his life to his job. His job is not doing what they said they're going to do. Their job is not going to fund his pension to where he can live afterwards. Yeah. A slap in the face, a waste of a life. He then turns to his wife and child, um, and they are angry with him in the most and and, and disinterested in general. Like, you know, uh, are you referring to yourself? <laughs> his wife on the phone is played by Selma Diamond. Yeah, Selma Diamond from Night Court. Oh, really? 
Wow. Uh, and I love her performance. I think it's hilarious. Um, and then the most biting line, though, I think comes when when Billy Sue, his daughter, is on the phone and refusing to talk to him, <laughs> and mainly because he refused to talk to her earlier and was really upset at the, even the notion of Billy Sue going on vacation with them. <laughs> no, just the two of us. You know, and uh, but he says she says, uh, I'm not going to talk to him. He's the he's the reason that he's the he's the fault of everything. And then then his wife says, look, whatever else he is, he is your father, (laughs) (laughs) which and and that's supposed to be the real gutting like where he's just totally out of control. Like he has no he cannot get a handle on his family uh, uh, in a way that he feels like. He should. And should he? Well, maybe he should just be there. But, you know, he, so he's got no future at career. He doesn't feel like he's got a future with his family. So then he decides to just take the money and run, right? Late in the movie. Like, it wasn't his plan from the beginning. It's like halfway through, he's like, okay, I'm just going to take this and run because there's nothing for me here. And then he's punished for it, you know, and probably going to be more punished than anybody else yeah. because he is supposed to be the law. Right. Right. So, why would the movie do this to its main character? He thinks he will never not laugh to again say... until Ethel Merman slips on that banana peel. <laughs> well, okay, okay. Let's talk about that because okay. I had a real growing up. I had a hard time with that scene. This the last scene. Of the movie always made me cry for some reason, and I couldn't figure out why because it was a bunch of men laughing at a woman falling. Because a room full of people it, doing forced lo- laughter is painful to watch. That's why I cried. Well, it, it's, it's <laughs> well, I mean, granted, they're talking about comedy because it's a, the slipping on the banana peel thing. Everyone's commiserating, you know, and, and in theory, I remember my family used to be very like even my mom and the, my whole family used to um, debate why they, they were mad because the second person who laughs really loud is Peter. Well, the first person she falls, they cut to Peter Falk losing his shit, right? And my family went, "Why is he laughing?" Like everyone else, Rochester, uh, Terry Thomas, Milton Berle, Jonathan Winters, they all took the brunt of her, you know, abuse. They can laugh. Why is Peter Falk laughing? He didn't. He wasn't even driving driving her around. And so Todd Todd knew I liked Peter Falk a lot. And so Todd, my brother, would always say, well, wait, I guess Peter Falk's just a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be, hey, don't do that. Peter Falk's awesome. No, he's, he's, he doesn't even know her. And he's laughing that she like broke her back. He right wasn't there. supposed to laugh. He's it terrible. wasn't in the script. He was specifically directed <laughs> not to. <laughs> so, so I'm like, why am I being touched by this ending? Which is, uh, it, it honestly... Not very nice, and and I I had to really think about it for a long time, and um because because Spencer Tracy isn't laughing at Ethel Merman in that scene. Everyone else clearly is, <laughs> but you've got this guy who is re- who realized that he was supposed to be one thing and he failed horribly, to the point where his daughter is changing his name to not be associated with her. Mm-hmm. He's being sued. He's losing his pension. He he basically thought he lost everything tried to get out from under it failed and then really had everything taken from him right like he didn't realize how much more he actually had to lose 
So now he's like really rock bottom. He thought he was rock bottom at intermission time. No, now he's really rock bottom. And so he's basically saying, I have, will have no joy left in my life now. There will be nothing that I could find joyful, be joyful about ever again. And then Nathan Bourbon comes in, slips. Everyone loses their shit. And Pinster Tracy is still not laughing, but he's looking at all these, this, this chaos, this just utter madness. Because <laughs> he doesn't really know the backstory of why they're all angry at, you know, venting all this pent up frustration. Then he just laughs at how insane everything is. Like he take you, you can find joy in the chaos of the world in a way. And I think that's not only a tender, but also basically saying you can find joy in any context, but also an incredibly cynical point of view by saying you can take joy in the other madness of this world. And then I realized, oh, the title really fits here. <laughs> this is the mad part of the world. Not, not what we saw previously necessarily. This is it. So like, I don't know. I always felt the ending was, was very complicated and uh, in a, in a way that I appreciate So what I would have liked better for the final scene, just cause I hate, I, I really just don't like, having to watch a room full of people laugh to tell me that something was funny. I don't know. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, <laughs> but it wasn't funny. It wasn't and funny. It doesn't feel spontaneous. It, like it's really kind of terrible, but if you'd only, if it had just been, she slipped in the banana peel and you just see Spencer Tracy go, huh, and then it cuts, <laughs> then fade out. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's kind of funny. Um, but really, yeah, I, I like think that. would it work, work better if you don't see what's his name eating the banana and throwing the banana peel. If she just walks in the room and then slips out of nowhere on a banana peel, I think <laughs> I think it works a lot better. It's just like as soon as you see the banana, it's like, wait, why does one guy have a banana? Oh, you know, like the the setup is so belated, right. you know. She should just slip in a banana peel. It kind of is. The point of the banana peel is not that somebody but, dropped a banana peel. It's that you slipped on it. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It never bothered me. Maybe I wasn't thinking about that when I saw it, but it never when I first saw it. But it never bothered me. What did bother me was I kind of felt like the last scene should have belonged to Emmeline. Hmm. I kind of felt like... Mm-hmm. I felt like she needed a beat there at the end of the movie. Well, it's such a and wobbly like, um, movie. I could say more. But at the same time, yeah, okay, please do. But again, uh, but let me let me just reiterate that I think that everyone laughing at the banana peel, they aren't laughing because it's funny. They're laughing because they're venting all that frustration, all that hatred of that woman. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They're venting all that at that moment. They're like they're like reveling in the cruelty of her getting hurt. And so, like, like, so I don't think they're all laughing. You know, the room saying, "We don't need a bunch of people, bunch of people laughing and tell me it's funny." It's not funny. I mean, it's it's a classic comedic. It's the the stereotypical joke, but I think it's more about them all just venting their cruelty. <laughs> and then, like, what does that say about us? You know, I, I don't know. I, I I think I think this movie's a little more deep than you want to let on. <laughs> I think I think we're all supposed to uh, laugh at seeing Ethel Merman fall on her butt just as much as they are. I think 
I don't know. I, for me, there's no distance between the reaction that they're having in the room and the uh, reaction we're expected to have. <laughs> no, do you agree or disagree? <laughs> okay, so Dorothy Bravine, whose name I've pronounced four different times already. Um, so she gets she she gets the big sympathetic moment in the in the park at the end, like you're saying. She gets the big dramatic little monologue. Yeah. Um, in the first half, our sympathy is with Pike, right? Yeah. And in the second half, we spend more time with Dorothy Bravine. She's disgusted. She doesn't want anything to do with this anymore. She wishes she could just get away. It was a beautiful dream. Like, the fact that neither of them, like, gets a full arc in this movie, I, I just find it bizarre that we spend so much energy invested in getting on board with Pike in the first half and then once he's like driving the tow truck and picks up everybody else, he's just like their chauffeur. Like he does, he has got no more yeah. business in the movie. He's not even the last guy in the hole digging. You know, it's Dick Sean. Like it should, it should be Pike in the last one digging. Like I earned this. I did the most to earn this money out of everybody, right? Like I don't know. Like it feels like the movie just abandons him in a weird way, and. And so it's, it's similarly with um, with Dorothy Praveen in the last scene, like she should get a button on her moment in the park, and she and she doesn't, right? Right? It's all about yeah, like when the injury, like Apple when Spencer Tracy even buttocks, <laughs> yeah, or or even when when Spencer Tracy reveals himself to be a police officer, there's no like, hey, wait a minute, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, it's like the movies you know. just like occupies itself with. It's like it distracts itself with uh, all these stunts. I don't know. It's a weird movie. I would argue that any emphasis on Pike in the first half of this movie is purely created by us as the viewers. Oh. I don't think the movie puts any real. The only time I think the movie puts any emphasis on Pike as someone you should be rooting for is when. Alan Carney as the sergeant says to Professor Tracy, like when he's they're gonna they're gonna let the crumps out of the basement of the hardware store. He's like, no, 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 that's not fair. Yeah. Why do you want to help that dentist for me? I'm rooting for Pike with the furniture yeah. van. That's the that's my meta moment. <laughs> the rules got to be movie. the same for that's the, he's the audience surrogate at that yeah. moment. Like it's obvious to me. Like yes, of course we're supposed yeah. to be rooting for Pike when he when when Phil Silvers drives away. You know, he's the one guy who like gets. He entrusts this to the stranger and like, don't do it. Why are you telling this guy? This is right. Phil Silver. Don't you watch Sergeant Philco? <laughs> and when he drives away and he like has the only like slow burn in the movie, you'll probably catch me on that too. But and I'll return to, yeah. to <laughs> I'll return to this too. But like he's got the slow burn, he throws the bicycle, he's gonna crush it, and then he gets up and he, now he's got the the handlebars <laughs> twisted and it's like I love that you know, scene. It's like we're just so getting us on board with Pike. Like that's what it's all about. And the fact that he's got to chase now he's like he was already the underdog in this thing and now he's even lower status, right? Like he's yeah. he's like triple underdog at this point. Uh when he's trapped yeah. in that chair unjustly, like, yeah, I, I I I don't know how you can say that the movie's not not giving us reasons to uh, to sympathize with Pike. Oh, the movie's giving us sympathize, reasons to sympathize with Pike. Absolutely. But I don't think the movie is necessarily putting... like I don't think the movie is saying this is his movie. Like, he's the one that should get it. You know, I don't, I don't think that he's 
the the movie is necessarily saying um, that one person should be getting the money over the other. But those words I just are literally put into the... a character's mouth. <laughs> you just quoted it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, <laughs> I know. But if it really was the case, they would they would run Pike all the way through. I mean, granted, well, yeah, they have Pike him. find the money. Yeah, but Pike's not the lead character of the movie. Culpepper is, which is also weird. Uh, in a way, yeah, because he's not part of the main action. He's 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 kind of like the ant. Oh, I was wondering why during this conversation I was thinking about um, uh, No Country for Old Men for some reason, like trying to compare Jonathan Winters to Josh Brolin's character and that how mm. it's just kind of abandoned halfway through. But if you think about it, I was going to make the case that um, I'd written down earlier that Culpepper is kind of like the anti Samuel Gerard from The Fugitive. You know, it's like. He starts out on the thing, but he's not following the people. He's following the goal. And then he changes halfway through, but not to side with anyone, but just to take everything. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of watching from afar. He's not driving the cha- pursuit like like he is. But now I realize he's probably more like Tom Lee Jones in, no, in, in, in more, more, another Tom Lee Jones role in No Country for Old Men, the movie where you're kind of following all these other people, but you then later you realize it's really about him, you know, yeah. to where he's just kind of watching all this shit happen. And then he takes the blow of it at the end, you know, where it's uh, except in, in No Country for All Men, it's an existential pain. And uh, and then in uh, this one, it's a um, it's a literal like, you know, my, I'm going to jail. I'm losing everything, you know, kind of thing. But like, I think that uh, I think that's a really good comparison because the what undoes Josh Brolin's character in that movie is he shows he has one moment of humanity. He feels sorry for that guy. Exactly. Then he goes to give him back the water, and that's that's his undoing, and that's his that fucks everything. You know, yeah, that's his because undoing. the people he's up against will not have that moment of humanity, and that's why he can't exactly. win. And uh, and Pike similarly is the one who like puts his trust in other people. Twice he uh, when uh, his van uh, crashes and all the stuff spills out, and he trusts the other people to fix it up for him and then he trusts uh to phil silvers right and then he stops trusting right he he stops trusting people but the fact that he has stopped trusting people is not like a story point in uh, like a plot point in in the movie really yeah it's kind of weird but if he but if he if he was the lead of the movie then it would be but he's not the the yeah the I think a lot of these other movies usually have someone who you're like can like cannonball run the lead of the movie is Burt Reynolds, right? He's clearly well, the lead know. of the movie. We haven't gotten to that movie yet. We haven't gotten to that movie. So, like, you're kind of inherently rooting for him, even though, you know, whatever. Uh, there's no, no real reason to. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but this one, you're you're not, and you're not, you know. Um, so I don't know. I I don't feel bad that they abandoned him because I kind of feel like I feel like each track, if you will. Um, is saying something different. Oh, what are they saying? And um, is its own un- is its own. I wish I hadn't said that because I hadn't thought <laughs> it out. <fully. laughs> but um, I each one certainly has a different set of circumstances. You've got the Crumps who uh, uh, are are become prisoners. They get there first. That's the dentist. That's they clearly Caesar. they clearly have gotten there first. Yeah. Said Caesar and Edie Adams, but then they get trapped, and and they they are trying to 
beat their way out of a prison, basically. Then you've got... Um, Which I just find uh, very Mickey frustrating. And, the fact that their momentum is like completely killed like that, I just find it so frustrating. It's not, though. I, that, that's one of my favorite... I love that sequence when they're in the basement. It's, it's so much fun. And there's... <laughs> I say to myself all the time, burglar alarm. The stupidest burglar in the world could walk away with everything and, I, and we can't even get out. <laughs> and that's not even really funny of a line. It's just, it's just, you know what it is? Irony? I, I think I'm, I think, I'm, no, it's, it's definitely from cynicism. I, it's like, why do we like the Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons? I don't. We, we are I don't si- like Roadrunner are cartoons. Si- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. I mean, and a lot of people have. And I think what it is, is... You know, the, the one, the, the one, one of the many rules of those Chuck Jones laid out rules for the coyote in the Roadrunner. He said, the Roadrunner cannot actively hurt the coyote. The coyote has to be hurt by a consequence of his own action or, or the result of something that he did or some absurdity. The Roadrunner cannot purposely hurt the coyote, Right. Right. So it's not actually a battle make a of between the two. Sound or a meep meep at an inopportune moment. Exactly, but that's not trying but to hurt him. That's, that's just, just being yourself. And then, yeah. Right. So, so what does that say? So when you watch the thing, I always relate to the coyote, even though I don't want to see the roadrunner get eaten. I do. I can relate to the coyote just wanting to eat. I don't know why he doesn't spend all that money he spends on Acme stuff to buy himself something, but okay. Send away for some food. Um, <laughs> I mean, where are you going to order Roadrunner from, it, though? D- it's not like they stock that anywhere. I mean, delivery is seems to be no problem out there. So, like, I think the perverse joy we get out of watching those stories is the fact that the universe seems to be against you. Right? Like, you've set up the rules. I need to eat to live. I have to eat other living things to live. So I'm going to do that. And then in the attempt to do so, the universe is going to punish me for trying. I mean, it's also not fair. I have to hunt this thing that has a superpower. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, and, has, and it seems to have the backing of all fate, luck, and God behind it, right? And so, like, it cannot be. It's the only thing out here. And I cannot be, uh, it cannot, I'm set up to fail. That's what I think it is. It's that feeling that we've been set up to fail. And so the, 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 same, the same thing that permeates the, uh, the hardware store sequence, the, and then the, um, um, the airplane sequence, which is just them being put in danger to um, uh, 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 immediate danger uh, in the sky and is basically, you know, all these things by their by their own choices, just because they want to do something. I mean, the coyote and the roadrunner is a little more elemental. It's more like more like this is the process. This is what I need to do to live. And then I'm being told I can't because I'm uh, because it, the universe doesn't want me to. And then that laughter of real recognition of I've been in those situations because I feel like sometimes everything's against me, you know, kind of thing. And then uh, here, though, it's like they have abandoned otherwise otherwise good sense in order to strive to get this quick quick money. 
and they are being told by the universe, no, you cannot get there. And I think that's that's where the majority of this uh, comedy comes from. And I think that you've got them trapped in the basement being told no. You go, we get and the other guys get finally get an airplane, but it's by a drunk pilot who passes out. <laughs> and then they're stuck. So they're told no. Then you've got the uh, Milton Burrow, that whole thing of like basically collecting an assortment of people who are all at each other's throats. And that's a community, a family community that's eating itself alive and um, eventually joined by Pike. But before that, you've got Pike, who basically is trying to basically just be be a human and constantly being punished for being a human. (laughs) So I think there's four different things here being explored. And what's what is weird is that there's no there's no character who's kind of doing it right. You know, I don't think I can't think of any. Mm. There's no there's no person they're pointing to to say, look, this person isn't experiencing all these problems because they're not doing what you're doing. Right. You know? Uh, Yeah. No, there's no counterpoint. It's just the world is fucking crazy. I think it's a deeply bleak movie. (laughs) (laughs) It is. It is a deeply bleak movie. And there's no there's no way around that. Um, So So why? But and yet it's so fun. And maybe that's just because I have an ingrained sense of you're never going to get ahead. So <laughs> I don't know. You will always be told you cannot eat the Roadrunner. This, this movie made me think a lot about the like comedy that's based on frustration and when it works for me and when it doesn't. And, you know, I love Laurel and Hardy. I love Jack Benny. We'll get to him. Um. Mm-hmm. I love I, I love lots of stuff that's based on people getting frustrated, but what I love is the slow burn, right? Or just like yeah. th- that kind of or just being like resigned to it, you know, in a way. When your reaction is just to to turn up the amplitude and the yell a lot, which is where this movie goes, like like this kind of like the natural arc of energy in this movie is to people just to get louder at each other. Like the stuff with with uh, in the airplane with uh, Andy Rooney and uh, uh, um, what's his name, Buddy Hackett. I'm just like, why isn't this funny? Like, there should be funny stuff. Buddy Hackett is like one of the most like naturally born funny people. You know, he can't do anything that's not funny. Except all I'm seeing him is is yell at the same time as Andy Rooney for most of this. And you know, fly this yeah, Andy Rooney. Or, sorry, Mickey that, Rooney. That sorry. was funny. Andy Rooney. <laughs> Yelled in his own way. <laughs> Another crank. Did you ever notice that we're going to crash and burn? Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's, yeah, this movie makes me cranky like Andy Rooney. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's funny because I find tons of funny stuff in that in those scenes. Ah, oh, man. I, I, I'm happy I think for it's you. hilarious. I'm, I really am. You hit me. Well, uh, well, I think my favorite being is, the, is, uh, is someone holding that stick? Is someone holding that stick? Over. What stick? <laughs> oh, the wheel. <laughs> I don't know. It kills me. <laughs> we both owning it. Uh, so the the shape of this movie, we have four vehicles. We start with four vehicles. They all go off. Two of those pairs get on airplanes, and now they're on their own threads. Once you get on an airplane in this movie, you're not going to interact with anybody else 
in the movie for the rest of the movie until you get to the park. And so, like, they're off on their own, like, parallel tangent. Like, they might have, like, in a side, side story now. Right. But the rest of the people who stay in cars, they're going to keep interacting. They're going to get different permutations. We're going to meet Phil Silvers. He's going to shoot off in another direction. We're never going to see him again to the park, although it's very funny the way he <laughs> reunites at the park. So I, for me, the Phil Silvers part of this really works. Um, except for the whole... <sighs> except for him getting medicine. Okay, this is the other like human moment that somebody has in this movie. And it's like the most despicable person... Ne- why did he stop? ...gets punished... He- for his one good deed. Yeah, but, but I, I still can't... <laughs> I don't understand that. is probably that. my one, one problem I do have with the movie, that I don't believe Phil Silvers ever would have stopped. No, no. I, I don't believe he would have stopped, and I don't believe he would have... They go, my wife's sick. Man, he would have said, uh, who gives a shit? I got uh, 250 Gs to think about. I don't think he would have helped the guy. I mean, no, he wouldn't help the guy. You know? He's, he, it's treated as if he has no choice in the matter, you know? But he, he totally did. But we should see him getting... I want to see him get punished for being a, a dick, you know? And it's a lot of... Right, not get punished for being a good guy, And it's right? a lot yeah, of fun totally. to watch Phil Silvers be a dick. Like, he's really good at it. Yeah, he's the best. Yeah, he he he, he works. It's great shtick. Um, he's got good dick shtick. <laughs> he, he's got... He literally has big dick energy. Well, the guy who should have big dick energy... It does not have big dick energy in this movie. The biggest dick in Hollywood, Milton Berle, did, oh, yeah. did not, <laughs> yeah. did not yeah. have any of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so Phil Silvers, he, he shoots off, right? But then we got the, the Milton Berle, Ethel Merman, uh, Jonathan Winters, Dick Sean, once he gets in the mix. They're all kind of mixing up, and they're all doing this carousel thing, and... And getting entangled and disentangled and reentangled and misconnections. Like for me, going backwards. Yeah, right. <laughs> like they've got to chase against each it. other. Like this is the one like uh, vehicle stunt scene that for me like really works. Like in terms of like contributing to laughs. Well, I, excuse me. The whole thing is a miracle of stunt driving. It's like the best stunt driving I've ever seen in movies. Period. There's impressive stunt like, driving. Getting to it, and this, this is the only thing one that does that it. That is funny. Yes. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's it's good. You're right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a yeah. little action in a in a comedy. I'm I'm all for that. But but they're not like the airplane flying through a billboard is not. A joke, and it's not a punchline to a joke. It's just an airplane flying through a billboard. It looks cool, right? It's just a stunt. It looks cool, yeah. yeah but it's right. just a stunt. Um, my kids, I watched it with my kids, and they were like, "Shouldn't there be like a message on, like an ironic message on the billboard?" Like they're, you know, right. they grew up on a on like Zucker or Abram Zucker movies. Like, yes, there absolutely would be. Right. The fact of what it's saying on the billboard would be the joke, right? Um, and instead, it's just a generic right. Coca-Cola ad, which I guess the pause that refreshes, I guess you could consider that an ironic statement, but I don't know. But the uh, uh, but the chasing with Dick That's Sean funny. where they're crashing into each other and it looks like an amusement park ride or something, um, that that is really great stunt driving. And it's like, I do appreciate yeah. Dick Sean saying, hey, Stanley, mind if I do some comic business here? And Stanley's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. He's like, what do, you, what do you think about, like, maybe putting the camera on me while I do it? Nah, it's good where it is. Go. Just go ahead. 
I, I do love that shot of Sylvester's like banged up red convertible going th like shoved off the road and going through that tall grass. Like, like it splits off from the Ford, like on a fork in the road oh, yeah. and it drives through all that tall grass to get, it's so cool. I don't, I, I don't know why. I just think that's also, I love how that whole sequence is shot because you don't see, um, I mean, it cuts between some pretty gnarly green screen that is distractingly bad, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, the, the driving scenes that are shot almost like on a crane following crane car up high so you can see into the convertible and you can see where the cars are in relation to each other very cleanly and crisply yeah. it's like i love that type of car chase and then you don't see that anymore that ever. that car chase is really good and the way the crash the way they crash at the end does like tap yeah. into that gas station scene energy where it's like the crash is just yeah. a little more than you thought it was going to be you know it's it i do i do appreciate that sequence you know, I, I, I texted my brother before we started recording, and I said, hey, we're going to record on It's a Mad Mad World. Is there anything you want me to broadcast, any factoid you want me to, to include? And he said, he said, he said, well, my favorite line was cut from the movie. And he, and he said, my favorite line doesn't exist anymore. And, like, in no version does it exist. And I'm like, how did you hear about it? And he, he read through, like, reading like you know, articles and stuff but he said there's a line apparently there was a scene cut that doesn't exist in any version where uh sylvester jumps in the car like he leaves the woman he's with the the, the who's credited as baby right <laughs> the lobotomized the, 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 how, lobotomized, lobotomized yeah. <laughs> yeah. who's very funny um, i really I, uh who is she's that? she's great in this her name is barry chase and i i oh she's fantastic uh, she was in Cape Fear, uh, among other movies. The original, and or the um, when I, the original, or both. <laughs> and when I went to when I went to see the fiftieth anniversary screening of this movie at the Cinerama Dome, they had a panel. It must have been in two thousand thirteen, I think. And it, Jeff Garland hosted a panel, and they had three cast members who were there. And one was Mickey Rooney, and he died a year later. Mm. And the other one was Marvin Kaplan from the gas station. And the other one was Barry Chase, the girl in this scene. Ah. She's still alive. She's 89 years old right now. And I did the math and I realized that she was 80 at the time. And I could have sworn she was in her 50s. Wow. Which I, I know would have made her like nine or so or less when she filmed this. <laughs> but she was born in 33. She looked great. She had great legs. I have not. And I realized that she was 80 at that time. And she was she was vibrant and uh, and 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 well put together and just wow. still rocking the gams. She's still rocking the gams at eighty years old. I, I just blew my mind. I, I thought she was like oh she was young then. So yeah, she's probably late fifties woman right now. She looks great. And then I just did the math this morning. She was eighty. <laughs> it's like God, you're incredible. Yeah, her name is Barry Chase. She's she's great. And Todd said that his favorite line that doesn't exist in any film is when Sylvester jumps into that car and drives off that she runs out and says, Hey, come back with my husband's car. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Which, which if you think about it, makes a lot of sense. Cause you I did identify that car with Sylvester so much with Dick Sean so much. But if you think about the way he treats that car <laughs> in that chase makes all that even more hilarious. 
that it's not even his <laughs> car, that he's sleeping with someone else's wife during the day, because of course he is. He's got no job. He's got no whatever. And then he takes this, their husband's car and destroys it. It's it's pretty good actually. It it totally fits with him that he just does not consider the consequences of his actions. <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a great. It's it's good. It's a good character thing. Yeah. No, I like Dick Shine in this movie a lot. I think I think Sylvester. He's great. Really injects some much needed energy into this uh, into the proceedings. <laughs> Oh, absolutely, he does. I, I'll, I'll admit that he's a—he's like an adrenaline shot he, there at the end. Yeah, he and Ethel are another ones who are funny while they're yelling. I'll say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when he sees sees his mom, Mama. He's so excited. To, he's fighting Russell yeah. and they, and she they, she pulls up. He's like, Mama, I'm so glad you're you're okay. And she goes, Why wouldn't you shut up and listen? I know. <laughs> I just want to give another shout out to Ethel Merman. Like it is an unforgiving she, part. Like you're supposed to, I think you're supposed to hate her and yeah. root against her in this movie. Yeah. And absolutely. I think she absolutely plays it with dignity. And I think a lot of times she is talking sense and she plays it as if she's talking sense and she's just got great timing, like in scenes, even though she's got yeah. like this kind of machine she's, gun rhythm. Like she has, she has comic timing in all those, and all those yelling uh, charades, like the way she's reacting oh, yeah. and playing off everybody and like playing offense, like moment to moment. Like I really sympathize with her and uh, yeah, and find absolutely. her hilarious too. I think she's really great. Oh, she's a powerhouse. The the uh, the 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 movie when I she is inseparable when thinking when I'm thinking about this movie. Like she's inseparable with the title to me. Like she is, she's that big a force, and the entire cast felt the same way. They were all like, "She's amazing." Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think she totally yeah, she shows don't... up. Uh, most of the most of the cast who were, I think, were trying to who got into this movie thinking they were going to be a, a bigger part of it. You know, Milton and right. Milton said <laughs> Caesar. It's weird, like you know, the two two titans of early television. Uh, along with Jackie Gleason, who I don't know if he was approached for this or not, and they both they they just like they don't show up for the movie. It's weird. Like I agree with you on Milton Berle. I disagree with you on Sid Caesar because I I actually love Sid Caesar in this movie. I really do. And it's interesting because I, I, I believe I feel like he should get er, bigger laughs. Ernie Kovacs was supposed I think was supposed to be Melvin Crump, and then he died not long before they started shooting. And Edie Adams, of course, is his real life wife, yeah. and she had to still honor the commitment. So the so she's mourning the death of her husband while filming this movie and watching Sid Caesar play her husband when it was supposed to be him. So it's it's the fact that she could even still be funny at all was is miraculous. I wouldn't be able to do it. But uh, I think Sid Caesar's great in this. He's he's in fact so much so that I kind of root for him. Now, more than anyone else. That's who the kids I rooted think, for. They were, they were rooting for the dentist. Right. And, and, do, and do you know, and, and I bet I know why. They thought he was a because decent, he was the one the who, decent guy. <laughs> yeah, because he was, trying to, he was trying to make sure everyone, he was doing all this work. He's like, he's like the liberal, 
the guy the liberals are right now. They're like trying to like, look, okay, we'll just, we'll try to make it work. We'll try to accommodate everyone's weirdo fucking grievances here. We'll try it every way possible. And it all blows up in his face. So he's like, you know what? Fuck you. (laughs) I tried to be a reasonable guy. Now they're going to see how they're dealing with. So like, that's the bad impulse. But it's completely understandable. Do you think Joe Biden's you know? gonna so that, get that? Find that impulse? Do you think he's gonna? <laughs> no, I I would like him to. He's gonna but pull I don't out think the sledgehammer or the axe at some point. No, because I think I think he, I think he kind of came around. I don't I don't know. I can't speak for That's him. Not, we don't I just to... think I'm I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I I'm I'm pro Joe Biden, but I I'm not going to. I think he's had a lifetime of entrenchment that his his. His um, a, a adopting of, of progressive goals was the only way to politically survive. And it's not. I don't think it's his instincts, but I do think he he's is a Culpepper who stays guy. behind the desk. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, I wish he would. Despite Sid Caesar's fate, I wish he would go a little more Melvin. <laughs> Just go. Ah, this has got to work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what do we need to cover before we wrap up here? There's a lot of movie here. Let's what are see. we missing? Uh, well, we, we, we never we never got to the end. We haven't got to the end yet. I mean, they get to Santa Rosita State Park. Of course, I have a fondness for the big W, being it's a W. They, we pick up our cab drivers. Um, I mean, I, I love the Santa Rosita scene, of course. Um, but it, although it is, it's a, a lot less is happening in it than has happened previously. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see how it would kind of drag a bit. But from the moment they all get in those cabs and Spencer Tracy drives away, all taking place there at Santa Monica in the P- PCH1, uh, the PCH area, that whole car chase is, I love with all my heart, all taking place in Long Beach and Malibu and whatnot. Um, the music is amazing. The, 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 the car driving is just, the, the stunt driving is impeccable um i cannot express to you how much i love pike not never being allowed in either of the cabs (laughs) every time they all try to get in the cabs pike is always pushed out and not allowed again and then when they take off for him he grabs onto that door and they swing around and he's hanging on to that that's a pretty amazing stunt it's Yeah. yeah it's it's amazing and i love it so much it's very simple but it 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 feels there's i mean a lot of these stunts in here are death-defying, and, and rarely these days do stunts feel death-defying. Yeah. That felt like a death-defying stunt. And it does not look undercranked <laughs> at all. I mean, that, that looks like it's No, I speed. don't think yeah. it is at all. <laughs> ah, just that huge arc. Because everyone's felt that pressure of centrifugal force when you're turning like that. And, man, that scares the crap out of me every time. <laughs> yeah, I love it. But that whole that whole thing, even going out to see Buster Keaton and stuff. Do you um, find the Buster Keaton bit funny? I don't find it funny. I felt like it was nice to see him and surprised he wasn't more put front and center. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Again, it was an obligate. It felt. It felt. Le- it felt. Didn't feel. It didn't feel obligatory. It just kind of felt. It did feel lazy. Put it that way. Yeah. It felt like it. Wasn't much thought given to it. <laughs> no, no, probably not. Yeah. Oh, we never talked about the whole um, William Demarest storyline. Wait, who's that? 
He's um, Aloysius. He's uh, Spencer Culpepper's friend uh, and superior. Oh, going to who's the trying to going to the mayor. who ends yeah. who ends up blackmailing the mayor to get his pension tripled, right? You know, and succeeds, and it works immediately. And, and like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, <laughs> now you know this what this is called, Your Honor. It's called blackmail. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I love I love the thing that you've basically got a a cop doing a dirty thing for a good reason, and it and then the other cop he's doing it for breaks the law and his oath and doesn't get the benefit of what's owed to him. You know, like just missed it by a bit. Yeah, all he had to do was wait, and not give in, and he didn't didn't make it. Um, but also, it's critical of a system where it's like you have to indulge in blackmail to get what's rightfully yours you know it's you know it's 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 critical on that front too yeah there's nothing more and maybe a lot of it's just the thrill i had as a kid that always comes back every time i watch it just the thrill of them going them going up the stairs and then uh following censor trade it gets quiet and here's where noise and quiet really get exciting to me Hmm. And uh, um, getting up the stairs and the whole on, on, on watching it on a small TV growing up, it looked the, the, the visual effects they employed because that building's not really there in Long Beach. It's a composite of a bunch of other things. It always looked a little cheap and a little, you know, OK, I get it. It's the effects of the times watching it in 4K. It's breathtaking how cool it is. Oh, really? It's really impressive. It's it's so impressive because they have a wide shot of their model composite with a matte painting of the city behind them and moving cars and, and, and all these other plates put in to when Peter Falk jumps off that, the cab driver jumps off um, the ladder onto the fire escape and the fire escape collapses underneath itself. Uh, it's gorgeous and it's, it's terrifying because it looks really good. Yeah, the whole fire escape sequence I, I love so much. Um, and it's not perfect because they, they never match the stunt player's positioning to the movie star's positions <laughs> shot oh. to shot. There's a shot that really bothers me when the when the, 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 the world's worst firefighter of all time <laughs> <laughs> who goes up there and is trying to get them to come down one at a time. And when they refuse, he just gives up and says, you'll see. <laughs> It's like Jesus Christ, dude. But during that whole sequence, um, uh, which I guess is funny, I mean, it's just funny on its own. I do. I think. Um, the, I think the whole ladder. The, once they're on that the fire escape, I think the yeah. I think that part of the movie cooks. I have no zero complaints. Yeah, it really well, does. One okay, one small one we'll get to, but in our scorecard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I yeah, think this... There, yeah, I think I, know, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I think this part, I think this whole sequence rocks. Um, I I don't... Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe the stunt... The, the stunts here are so spectacular and kind of breathtaking. Uh, the And, oh, and yeah. they, they play out in like exactly the right sequence. Like it builds in such a beautiful way. Uh, I, I'm not going to complain about any of this. This, this, I want more of this, please, yeah. in my mad world. Yeah. If there's anything I aspire to do as a creative person is to come even come close to something like that sequence. 
because that sequence is one of, is probably my favorite sequence in all of film. Oh wow! History. All, yeah, I not love all of it cinema. So Usually, when you're much. making these big grand statements, you go to cinema. But so there must be one more. What did I say? One, you're leaving room for one level above. What, what did I say? I don't even remember what I just said. Well, you said you said it's. <laughs> Your favorite in all of film, but normally, oh, oh, usually I say when cinema, you're making right, grand right. pronouncements, you say all of cinema. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll say cinema and all oh, of cinema. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll totally do it. It's, it's, it's. I love it more than anything, and um, it's, it's perfectly timed, like you said. I, I, I don't know what it is about the one at a time, and I think it's just because it's giving each ensemble character his moment. Yeah, it's a curtain call, and even if it's a moment, yeah, yeah. Even if it's a moment of pain, <laughs> I do. If there is, if I have a nitpick besides a couple of technical issues, it's that only one person I think has an injury that is related to their problem. You know what I mean? Hmm. They don't. Mm-hmm. Their injuries aren't necessarily like atoned to their characters. The Sylvester probably being the only one that has one because he's. He's he's obviously vain and kind of like relies on his good looks to to compliment his to hide his craziness and so he he he, he goes down a buffet table face first, which is an amazing stunt. And so it kind of you know I it, even love it is an ama- I think that's a dummy. Is that a dummy though? I don't know in, in that shot because it looks like. Yeah, it looks like someone got shot at a cannon. I mean, I I even love that the angle of it is wrong. Like he falls, he falls from above, but he hits it at yeah. like a twenty degree angle, which makes no sense. <laughs> but that only makes it funnier like to he's me. Fast and furious. Yeah. it only makes it funnier, right? Yeah, it's like I mean, it's an amazing stuff. Yeah, I thought it was a dummy, but I could be I wrong. Don't know. I'll have to look at it, it didn't strike me as guess, one. I guess I. I'm going to have to, I mean, it looks so good, but I'm going to, I guess I always comforted myself by saying it was a dummy. (laughs) No, no human had to endure that. Because you could crash it into more (laughs) stuff, but it's just like sliding across a bunch of food. I I don't know. I felt like it was a guy, but you know, so I can be, I can be emotionally uh, convinced. I I don't know. I don't know. The way that they don't. his, His legs being up in the air looks so good, you know? Like like as he's going down Check that table, those so I, I don't know. Maybe it might be a, it might be a, the real guy. I don't know. Yeah. I even love but, in the um, sequence how like the ladder discards three of them or is it four of them onto a palm tree, and you think, oh, well, that was yeah, that was kind of disappointing. But then it's going to come back to them, and they're going to be the last ones to fall, right. which is a weird rhythm. Yeah. Like I don't know why you make that choice. I love the choice though. Yeah, I, I think I don't know I how think, you get there. I think it's because they're like going, okay, if we go through every one of these on the ladder, it's going to get old. Which you know, I, another beef is that all, the, with the exception of Sylvester, none of the bandages that the characters have in the uh, hospital scene in the final scene match the injuries we saw them. Thank take. Thank you. I was going to ask <laughs> you, and I knew you would know. I was like, <laughs> it bothers me a lot because <laughs> I would have thought, okay, so obviously Colonel uh, Terry Thomas is going to have some uh, uh, burns on his stomach, and he's he's set upright and got like, like like a, a midriff showing, like to set his like like shoulders up like that. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't consistent with what happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> What 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 the hell? I was gonna go yeah, back and, and check, and then I'm like, nah, wait till no. Eddie Rochester, 
and Eddie Rochester being the the most egregious one on more than one level, but like because you're like, how did th- all that happen? He had a trampoline. <laughs> well, he landed in a and stone landed on a statue. Lap. So yeah, I, I, you know, right. So, so I go, okay, broken back. I tailbone. see broken back. But what happened to his head? Why is his head all wrapped? Yeah, <laughs> doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. So yeah, that that was a bothering thing. But again, you know, yeah, whatever. Maybe maybe they thought it was funny. See, maybe they or maybe didn't they just have that didn't sequence care. planned out yet, and they shot the the ending first. But right. you know, but these days you would do uh, green bandages so that you could <laughs> change your mind about the injury later. <laughs> That still doesn't work. <laughs> one of the most horrific, yet one of the most, uh, the funniest sounds, but also the most horrific sound <laughs> is the sound of Sid Caesar trying to hoist himself up and letting go and then falling between all the stair flights of stairs. <laughs> when he like, cra- that's a great stunt too yeah. of him coming through the window Landing on that railing, smashing it, holding himself up, and then withering, and then you hear him <laughs> <laughs> like hitting every la- every railing on the way down. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! Well, are, are we wrapping up? Do you think if we wrap up about now, we will be shorter than the movie, so that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna give my last word to uh, my son Ichabod. Uh, like I said, I watched it with the twins. They loved the opening sequence, the credit sequence. They thought the Saul Bass credit sequence was the best they'd ever seen. And they were so excited. Oh, wow. They thought it was hilarious. They were so excited about seeing names that they recognized. Um, they didn't know all of them, but they knew some of them. And then they ended up not. <laughs> Ichabod says during the movie, he says, this is a feel-bad comedy. The joke is that everything sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said later, if you thought wow. about it. He's not wrong. Yeah, he thought about it. He said, because he was, you know, I think he was trying to place it in, in time. And he says, you know, in I Love Lucy, bad things happen. But in this movie, people's lives get ruined. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like, like the misfortunes never upend anything. These are like, these guys are all... They're all ruined. Yeah, they're, yeah. The consequences are devastating. <laughs> ah, so yeah, he's not wrong. Oh, I'm glad Dex liked it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what am I propagating? I don't know. Yeah. Ichabod notoriously Excuse loves me. every movie. He loved he loved Cats. Saw it twice, voluntarily. <laughs> There's been exactly two movies he has seen that he doesn't like. And they are the Godfather, and it's a mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> he loves Citizen Kane, so it's not it's not that. No, so yeah, it's not it's not a matter of bad taste. Yeah. No, no, absolutely not. I'm not over the moon about the Godfather. So yeah, I'm, I know. I, I see his point. You're a, you're a real Godfather contrarian. We should do that movie sometime, so you can so I can I, I don't dis- gush I don't and say it's a perfect movie. There you and go. Then you can uh, complain the whole time. That'll be your. I don't. Uh, I don't dis. I don't dislike the movie. Just I feel like it the way I feel about Lord of the Rings. It's like they're. I can see they're well-made movies. I know why people like them. I just don't. I didn't get the bug. You know. Fair. 
The heart wants what it wants to quote an asshole whose movies I hate. Exactly. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, Well let's move into uh, the the denouement. Okay. So uh, let's get across the finish line here. What happened uh, with this movie? Because we're going to talk about like this kind of movie. And how it evolves over time, right? Like, this is, it's a mad, 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 mad world. It's a huge cinematic event. Most expensive comedy of all time. Mm-hmm. Huge hit, right? Uh, makes a box office $1963, million, which in 2020 dollars would be $388 million, which would be a huge number for a comedy, right? And that's yeah, just huge. domestic. We're, we're, we're talking hangover prices. Yeah. Right, <laughs> and so this like kind of cements itself as, as legendary status, which really like it has sustained. Like it, its legacy is secure as like a classic. That if you love comedy, you at some point have to visit this movie and check it out. Right. So it's 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 at right. the time it's a huge hit. It's also successful. It's also pretty critically successful. And so we're going to see really quickly in this miniseries some attempts to reproduce it and, like, to figure out which parts of it are reproducible, (laughs) right, Um, which I think is going to be interesting. Yeah, because weirdly the one thing that's never reproduced in all of them is the budget. Oh, no. (laughs) That's not true. This is not the the last most expensive, expensive comedy ever made. We will... We will do in this miniseries. Oh, so more on well, that. I can't wait. Yeah, well, you'll have to keep hit that subscribe button, hit mash that follow, whatever, whatever people say. I don't care. <laughs> and so, what's next? Um, we haven't uh, we haven't put together our definitive list, but if we're going by strict release order, I think our next one in the series is going to be those magnificent men in their flying machine with Terry Thomas from It's a Mad Man Man. That's World. right. That's right. Uh, but before we get there, let's do a quick uh, report card on this movie. I'm just going to run through this kind of lightning round, although you can give a little bit of uh, insight into your thinking behind this. Who do you root for? Mm-hmm. Who do you root for in this race? Well, I said before, I, I think it's Melvin Crump and Melvin and the, the Crumps, although previously it was Pike. Yeah, for me it's Pike. I'm a Pike guy. My kids rooted for for the dentist. Who are you supposed to root for? I think it's supposed to, I think it's Pike. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Pike? I think it's Pike and then Culpepper. Mm. Um, best stunt. Oh, the whole movie. <laughs> but I'm, it's either going to be Pike holding on to that door, uh, taxi cab door, or there's an extra that scares the shit out of me every time. <laughs> In the final car chase... Right before they were, were Culpepper's oh, cars going down the alley. In the alley, yes. Yeah. And that one extra who's walking with another dude decides at the last second to to jump to the other side right before that his car yeah. hits him. And he doesn't get hit. That dude scares me every time. I, it, cause I don't see how he didn't get hit. Yeah, that's like some Ronin shit. Or like, you know, is, yeah. was this like the French connection? Like, did he, was that... Did, did that get a permit? Right. Did they not clear that right. set? <laughs> right. <laughs> My favorite is it's the climactic one. Culpepper crashing into the pet shop. 
when he goes into that top window. Oh yeah, like I'm still like aghast every time at how much you see him crash into the lower floor from the second story, and just like the big cloud of dust. Oh, yeah. Like it's so convincing, and it's just like oh my god, like he's this frail old man. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I. I <laughs> It so wins me over that yeah. moment, and like, holy shit! Like, it's a real, it's a real, uh, and it looks like unlike the gas station, it doesn't look totally fake. I mean, it has to be; nothing could collapse like that. But uh, right. it, you know, it's just like, whoa! Didn't see that. Coming. I would assume yeah. there was two Culpepper's, right? Like, there's a one guy on the zip line, and then the yeah. other guy who's already on the bottom floor. But like, still, yeah, it's 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 frightening. It's executed so well. <laughs> And it it shocks yeah. me every time I see it. I'm like, oh wow, yeah, it's it's always more than I expect it to be. All right, these are uh, fun ones because these are ensemble comedies. Uh, who's most playing to type? Oh, that's Phil Silver. Phil Silver's <laughs> doing the Phil For Silver sure. shtick. Uh, honorable mention to Jim Backus doing the Jim Backus shtick. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> who's most playing against type? This is a good one. Yeah, that's hard. Um, He's got some good contenders here. I really, because I can't, I, I don't, I feel like I don't know enough. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, I don't know enough about Milton Berle's actual acts, but I'm going to uh, guess Milton Berle. It's totally, I think it's Milton Berle. I don't know. Milton Berle, who's like kind of notorious for coming in and being high-handed and taking over, you know, like totally alpha. Yeah. You know, loves to brag about the size of his cock. As the legend goes, yeah. people would challenge him to who had a bigger cock, and he would only pull out enough to win. <laughs> uh, apparently, everybody hated him. They'll, they'll say they'll say that the cast all says, "Watch every shot. If there's ever a shot where everyone has to leave frame, yeah, you'll find that Milton always finds a way to be the last one out of frame. Right, right. Every time, you know, and especially that staircase, the staircase chase at the end." Where they're all chasing Spencer Tracy up those stairs, and it's always the same two flights. Of set. They keep repeating the set, you know. <laughs> he's, he's Milton Bros always the one at the end, kind of dragging ass because <laughs> he wants to be the last one on cut, you know. You know, even as a decrepit old man, when he's being humiliated by RuPaul at the MTV Music Awards, he still thinks he can come out on top. Like it's, it's. Do you remember that? Remember that clip? It's like the last anybody saw. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. um, Okay. In the main cast, who's funniest? That's hard. Um, So hard. But I'm going to say, I'm going to say Jonathan Winters. I think Jonathan Winters is great. I think Phil Silver, for me, it's Phil Silver's, though. I think Phil Silver's kind of (laughs) steals the movie a little bit. Well, them together is fantastic. Yeah. And for me, Phil and Ethel are like the two laugh generators, like consistent laugh generators in the movie. Yeah, but uh, Jonathan Winters a close third. I do, me. I do like Silver's interchange uh, interchange with Don Knotts. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's really that funny. brings us to my next question: <laughs> best cameo. I don't know, man. It Don might... Knotts is my number two. Yeah, I think it's probably my number two. There's so many that are there just because it's a hey, it's you. Yeah, and there are so many like the Three Stooges one doesn't work. Very well. No. It's just like, hey, it's the Three Stooges, and how how does them being firemen affect the story? Doesn't. Yeah, it feels like they should be in the gas station scene if they could physically do it. You know, <laughs> if they could physically do it, but they they, they couldn't. couldn't. Yeah, 
I I know there's a better one. Um, I'm gonna, but I think I'm gonna say Jack Benny just because I Jack. It's funny Benny with a rocket. Hell yeah, it's Jack Benny. <laughs> I mean, I I the first time I saw it, I didn't really get it because I um I I didn't know his catchphrase, but that's him coming in and giving a catchphrase <laughs> relating to his show, but. At the same time, even just on its own, I thought it was funny because it was like, it felt to me like, here's some random dude in the desert offering help and he's insulted. And then he, and then they, the canebird lingers on him for a very long time and how sad he is. <laughs> so even not knowing who he is, it's still very funny. <laughs> so Jack Benny, one of my heroes. So the Jack Benny is to me what this movie is to you in that like when when a young Sigmund Lamar decided he was going to take a shot at showbiz, a young starry-eyed hopeful and decided, <laughs> "Okay, I will fashion a comedic persona of Siggy Lama, the the number one influence on that bar none is Jack Benny." Jack Benny for me is king. He could not write a joke, but he knew exactly what was funny. He shaped the most uh, successful comedy radio show of all time. He basically invented the sitcom formula. Like he figured it out. And yeah. that's not even speaking to like his godlike gift of comic timing. Uh, which still I don't think anybody touches. And he just walks into mm-hmm. the set, says, okay, Stanley, what's going on with this picture? And Stanley's like, oh, we got these big stunts. We got big vehicles. We got crashes. We got destruction. It's going to be great. Like, what do I do? Here, just give me six words to say, Stanley. Just six words and point the camera at me, and I'm going to deliver the biggest laugh in your movie. <laughs> and he did that for me, that's what he is. He just, like, rolls up in his Maxwell says his six words, and kills, kills, with just un- timing that's never been touched. Uh, true. And he never tells the joke that I th- in the way that I think he's going to. What the, I remember seeing, I think, the first episode of one, one of his television shows where he was casting a movie based on his life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't laughed harder because I, I was afraid it was going to be this not very not aging well joke, but it killed me. He, he says we're casting people to play your wife, and he's like, okay, we'll send her in. And they send in this gorgeous, you know, voluptuous woman in a tight dress. She comes in, and, and Jack becomes just you know silly putty. It's like oh, and I'm like okay, yeah, here's this going. And she comes in, and she says. Can I sit down? And he says, yeah. uh, you know that dress better than I do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's a classic line. <laughs> I, I'd never heard it before, and I fell on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Best straight performance. Man, I don't know. I, I'm either going to say I have to give it to either William Demarest, because he doesn't have too many funny moments as Aloysius okay or even Andy Devine but the line that keeps when I first heard when I when I first saw this best straight performance the line that popped into my head was one of the name nameless cops watching Sylvester and Russell after they crashed and he goes 
I've never seen anything like this bunch. He ran into him. He ran each, they ran each other off the road. <laughs> and that, incredi- that incredulousness always sticks in my head. And so I like that guy too. <laughs> <laughs> For me, uh, I mean, I think you got to mention Spencer Tracy because he spends a lot of the movie giving a straight performance. True. And he's very True. good because he's Spencer Tracy. He, he, he does right. what Spencer Tracy does. But I'm going to give a shout out to Carl Reiner in the uh, Control Tower. Who's that's yeah very funny legendary comedian in his own right giving a completely one hundred percent straight performance and it's great like he really is like yeah. if there's any tension in this scene for me he, it comes from Carl Reiner it really does you're right he really powers that and frames that scene and he allows the other two guy like um, is his name Alan White the guy who's the Maytag repairman yeah. to oh, have yeah. the scene's oh. funniest line. Like he he lets the he, the two the two funniest lines the second funniest line being his going, why don't we just shoot him down and be done? With it? <laughs> I mean, which which again speaks to Ichabod's point. Like everything sucks. Like this guy is so over because it's so frustrating. He's over trying to save these people's lives and preventing disaster. He's just over it. But my but my favorite line comes from the other guy in the scene who I, the other traffic controller who I don't know his name but I've seen it in other movies. When um, Colonel Wilberforce is just saying nonsense into the speaker, or he's repeating everything that Carl Reiner yeah. says, and then the other guy looks at him and just with a big smile says, "You're doing a great job, Colonel." <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. Uh, okay. But yeah, good, good call, Carl Reiner. Uh, okay, I'm gonna go out of order then to meta moment because I almost put let's just shoot him down and get this over with. <laughs> oh, screw you! <laughs> <laughs> go screw you, just screw. Okay, we mentioned the the cop that's rooting for Pike. Do you think that's it? I guess so. I think that's my number one, but uh, I had to put this, and this is my letterbox review. <laughs> Is that I too, <clears throat> which I did not appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> I too, but I withheld my tongue. I too, halfway through this movie, would rather eat a hot fudge sundae with whipped cream and a cherry on top. <laughs> Until the end, I just you know come back when it gets good again. No, we didn't put that in the review. <laughs> Until it totally redeems itself. Not in season review. <laughs> wow, I had to leave something for the podcast. Give him a reason to listen. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, bit that works. What's the best bit? Dude, I don't know. I, don't, I, I can't come up with an answer for this one. How about you go? I'm going to go with, I think the stretch of destroying the service station into the dance sequence is like the, the, the best laugh uh, until we get to the latter scene. Yeah, so I'm gonna say service station. For me, that's the that's a legendary. If you're scene. gonna see best bit, like as in sequence, then gas station sequence. All yeah, time. maybe I should say set piece. If you're gonna say best, yeah, if you're gonna say set piece, gas station. Okay, the destruction. I'm gonna change that hands down with a bullet. Change that to set piece. Best bit. I don't know. Maybe I gotta go with Pike reacting to all the things in his cr- truck that are crashing. <laughs> all the sounds of. I don't know. That gets me every, every. You know, when he runs, he runs into the back of the Imperial, and he see, and then you just see Jonathan Winters reacting to all the crashes that are going on behind in the in his truck. <laughs> ah, just that that. It's just him making silly faces, and it's awesome. Okay, bit that doesn't work. 
Um, I'm, I know there are some, I, I, but I'm going to say, I think all of Jim Backus's pratfalls that happened pre-flight. Hmm. Like him falling over backwards because of the light yeah. seems anticlimactic. His fall in the shower seems anticlimactic to the scene. I like that one. I'd like those scenes. I like those scenes, but they don't, they don't, the, they don't feel like the stingers they're meant to be. So I guess that's all I... I like the falling in the shower because his legs shoot out like farther than you think and you feel like you're about to see his junk. <laughs> like it feels very naughty. Ooh, we're going to get some... We're going to get some Bacchus junk. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> see what else you can make out of a coconut. <laughs> uh, moment... He didn't make anything coconut. <laughs> that's the professor. Moment of casual sexism. <laughs> And again, oh remember we're we're doing um, this for every movie in the series, and I just these are things I expect to <laughs> have. We'll have something to say with every yeah. single one of these. I mean, they're they're all there. I think um, I think I think the casual one is probably is probably when it, it bothers me every time it happens. But I kind of understand why they do it at the time. Is in the chasing when they go up the. When they chase Culpepper into the building, Sid Caesar turns around and says, "Now we got him. Now you women stay here." Oh, yeah. It basically is like excluding them from the finale, you know. And the reason I think they did is they probably thought it wouldn't be funny to watch three women fall off the, yeah, the tower and and get hurt. Yeah. And they're probably not wrong, but at the same time, that's not a quality. <laughs> 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 so. It's understandable sexism, maybe, but it's still sexism. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to go with uh, Culpepper checking out the secretary when she walks by. Oh, and oh, I, I'm sorry. That's my least favorite moment in the whole movie. I block it out. I forget it's there. Yeah. How about a little coffee, Schwartz? And then we spend all this time gazing at her butt. I hate that moment. Eh, that's my low point, I think. Uh yeah. Moment of overt sexism. Well, you could say that. I would say that, but I it's think pretty, it more so casually, though. It's like, of course, this is what you do at work. Well, it's the whole movie <laughs> stopping. It's the whole movie stopping on a dime to watch to ogle, and so as if the fact that we're doing it is funny. So I don't know. I should say that, but hmm. um, I might go with Hawthorne's monologue about the emasculation of American men. Oh yes, of course, yes. <laughs> because it all, it's one of the few times that it, it cuz you know you set up Milton Berle saying something you know bad about England and then when he retorts it's almost feels like it's coming from a righteous place rather than just a, a whatever so like it's all, it feels it's one of the few times i feel like the the writers are saying exactly what they want to put out there and i don't like it because hmm. the, uh, the the author is british um, and his wife is German-born, but became a Brit and was active in in British Parliament. Okay, um, actually, so like, in fact, I think when they wrote it, it was actually going to take place in Scotland, and then they transposed it to Southern California when Kramer got involved and stuff. If I got, I maybe, I may be wrong about the details of that, but that's what that was supposed to be. So like, yeah, it kind of feels like that's them really getting their thing in about men and i don't i i found it while he's got some funny things he says in there 
if you're acknowledging that it's coming from a really kind of fucked up vantage point, then it's funny. But if you're looking at it as like what they're trying to get a point across, then it's it's just it's just fucked up. <laughs> it's Terry Thomas making the argument that this movie isn't sexist enough. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, uh, my moment of overt sexism was anytime anyone speaks to or about Ethel Merman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Moment of casual racism. <sighs> Again, I haven't seen this in like six months or so. I, I just live with it in my head so long. So it is kind of exclusionary. So I don't know. Uh, I feel bad. Because I feel like it makes you, yeah, it's supposed to make you feel I bad. Know. I think I think the Chinese laundry scene. Yeah, Chinese laundry is good call. And I I don't know why because there are Chinese laundries. There so are Chinese why, laundries. But, but the whole the whole scene, I'm bracing myself for something awful to be said. There are Chinese laundries, but if <laughs> that's, that's the only representation, and why yeah, does it why exactly. why it's, is it a Chinese laundry? Like it could be anything. Yeah, and and then. And then when Edie Adams comes through the the hole in the wall and the one of the arguing men there turns around and looks at her and puts his hands up. That's the part that's so weird. Like he screams and puts his hands up. And I go, what, what is that trying to yeah. say? Well, you know, they're demasculinized. They're timid. They're, you know, it's all the kind of old yeah. hoary stereotypes. It's not, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very icky. I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm not comfortable there. Yeah, good call in Chinese. I laundry. felt bad for those guys. Those, those those poor guys. They just run into business, and <laughs> these people almost blew them up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and it's totally casual. Like, yes, of course. There, I mean, yeah, there could be a Chinese laundry in that basement, uh, right? But it's okay. Moment of overt racism. Oh, what did you did you have one? Uh, oh, same one. I'm going to go Chinese one? laundry as, as oh, well. Same one. Okay. Okay, overt racism. Um, I don't. I this is what came to mind, and I'm not sure why. Okay, something about Rochester hitting a pop trampoline and landing in Lincoln's lap. Yes, this is my answer too. As if like a Lincoln statue was like a magnet for blackness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 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 then weirdly, it's all you would think that means he's cradling him, like protecting him. You're right. But then he's in the hospital with a full body cast. <laughs> I don't think it means like, anything what? except, hey, wouldn't it be a hoot yeah. if it, all the things he could land in, he landed in Lincoln's lap because he's black? He, he, it's a black related thing. So, yeah, it's a link. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll do that. See, it's, like, it's, and maybe they were trying to do something. You know, I, I could I could maybe give them the benefit of the doubt that they were trying to do something like they did with the women characters by saying we're not going to hurt them. But at the same time, this felt worse. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the two cabbies didn't deserve any of the things that they got. Right. I mean, so Peter no Falk didn't, like, for th get thrown into a New York pizza stand. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He didn't get thrown in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he didn't get thrown into the Statue of Liberty's lap or, you know. Right. Exactly. He didn't fall to a bunch of mobsters and they all got out guns and shot him. You know, he didn't. That didn't happen. <laughs> he didn't. Yeah. So he but like, oh, look, he's black. That's his only characteristic. Yeah. Right. Well, it's got to be a black joke. That, 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 
It's got to be a black joke, right? So yeah, that 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 always bothered me a lot. Saddest moment. Uh, I, I think I'm going to have to go with watching everyone turning to watch Schwartz go get coffee. I think that might be my saddest moment. Oh, well, the one it that makes bu- you, yeah. It really bums me out. Okay. It really bums me out. Good one. I'm going with the Three Stooges. They just look... Oh. The fact that, that that's that's all that's all they're here for, and like, and they just look like old, and they it it's hard to tell if they even know where they are. Yeah, it just there's everything about it is just pathetic. Well, here we are. Uh, we did it. We did it. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Yeah. We kept this episode below the runtime of the movie, which we don't always succeed at. I think we did. It we, wasn't hard this time. We better get out of here uh, before we ruin that. <laughs> <laughs> well, stay tuned for our next entry in this mini series. Oh, yeah. Well, so like, so where do you think that this is gonna uh, go? Where they're they're building off of it. It's a mad, mad, mad world. Everyone's wants to ape the success and the formula of it. How do they use it? How do they adapt? Yeah. this into the next incarnation yeah mm-hmm. if you have any thoughts on that uh you can tweet them at us on our twitter feed you with the letter you watched it wrong you can put something up on our facebook page where you watch it wrong spelled correctly uh what we really like is emails email us that you watched it wrong all spelled out at happypanic.net and stay tuned for those magnificent men in their flying machines the next installment of wacky races it's a mini 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 series and if you thought it needed jokes to be a comedy you watched it from wacky races